she won't allow me to try and find my father. Your mother should be the judge of that. She won't listen to me. She's worried about you. All she cares about is herself. All she cares about is you. That's why she dumped me. I'm such a bad influence. She's concerned. Concerned about what? The fact that you run away from home. The fact that you've been drinking. So you're gonna give me a lecture about drinking? Don't be a prick. Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spin Posh Presents Pictures Powwow. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Swinski. And I'm the other host, Bartek Hole. <laughs> Indeed you are. Uh, we are Spin Polish, likingly, because we are always spitting. And we both happen to be Polish, but that doesn't factor into anything at the moment, because we could be Norwegian as well, but that doesn't matter either. Nothing matters, because... We are doing our show Pictures Powwow, the show in which we review a movie that's come recommended. This week, I recommended the movie, and I recommended the movie The Snowman from 2017, a movie in which nothing matters. (laughs) Or everything matters. It's kind of both, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. So, Bartek, Pictures Powwow, we, you know, have recommendations. Last week it was yours, this week it's mine, next week it's Listening People's. I chose this specifically because we've been enjoying ourselves far too much by picking things we enjoy and like. And I was like, this isn't a good movie, but we do like it, or do we, is the question mark. Um, Before we get into all of that, Bartek, do you think we should give a heads up to our listening people about uh, that we're going to get in depth in this? Um, if their instincts don't already tell them that we are going to be in depth, I think that they're, you know, they need to have a hard look at themselves and realize that sometimes we are going to get in depth and we're not always going to say it, but there are going to be, you know, signs, very clear signs that we're going to get in depth. Yep, and uh, that means spoilers alert. So, listening people, if you haven't watched uh, The Snowman... It is a mystery crime movie, so we will be talking about it. (laughs) Good one, Bartek. So, um... (laughs) Thriller. Bartek Hole. (laughs) Good one. You're so funny. So, we're going to be talking about The Snowman, so if you haven't watched it, do um, prepare yourself to do so, because if not, most of this will be gobbledygook. Heck, seeing it, it still is. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about it in depth. So, Bartek, I chose this, like I said, because, um, you know, we... It's one of these things where it's, it, this is a bad movie, but we like it, or do we, is the big hinging thing. So, let's delve into our relationship and history with this feature film. How about you go first? Um, I... Not sure how much different it's going to be from you, Ryan, but we have both watched this film once before with with two other people, your wife and our friend Will. Um, And that was a very interesting experience. I think we watched a few films on that day. Uh, I think Mm -hmm. Snowman might have been either the middle thing that we watched or the last thing to, you know, really wind down after a a long day of of great uh, cinematic viewings. Um, 
And I remember on that day, I was I was very tired, but I was still paying as hard as I could, as much attention as I could to the film. And I I think I got the gist of everything. Like when I rewatched it uh, earlier today, it was going to be a thing, kind of like a redemption for me, where I was going to pay attention to the full thing, and I was going to see all the little details that I missed. And it kind of felt like... I didn't really miss much on that first viewing anyway. <laughs> yeah, and you aren't dancing around. You fell asleep in parts on the first viewing is what you mean to imply, aren't you? Did I fall asleep? I remember I was definitely like fighting to stay awake. I don't know if I fully fell. Um, You had the closing of the eyes and I would have to smack you on the shoulder and you'd be like, what, what? And I'm like, Barsek, Harry Hole! <laughs> <laughs> So the history is is that with me as well, but the preface of mine is I knew what the snowman was before we watched it. I had brought the copy of the snowman. It was still technically out in the cinemas, but not here in Australia. It was gone by then. But so we had a one of those bootleg cuts where the film looked pretty good, but there were some little Asian subtitles on the bottom, and for some reason they edited out the 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 uh, gruesome reveal shots, and that was everything else was the same. And I remembered being so pumped to watch this movie because the thing about this movie that everyone knows about it, if you know anything about The Snowman, is this is a film that is incomplete. It did not get to shoot all of the stuff on the script and they released it anyway. Approximately at the time of release, the director said 10 to 15 percent, but now that's been pushed up to 15 to 20 percent and not at all shocking. As in like that's how much they had left to do, not that it's 20 percent finished. Well, having seen the film, Bartek, I could argue... No, um, you're right. And that's the thing most people are aware of. But I knew, as someone who had studied film and loves film, that not only will having 20% of your film not be filmed will be the only problem in the film, because that's something we can get into, isn't it, Bartek? The, the fact that this film's problem isn't just the editing... It's a multitude of other things that weren't editing problems. These are production problems that aren't just on the editors or the film filming stuff. This is makeup, props, music, sound mixing, a whole bunch of stuff. Even bad luck. Bad luck and uh, acting and points and accents and source material and writing. All this stuff is there. But uh, one thing we've got to mention is... A certain friend of ours has a history with this movie that amuses me greatly. Do you <laughs> want to delve to into that? Up. Yeah, I literally was telling him, like, hey, we're doing um, we're doing The Snowman in our next episode, and I do not think we'll be able to resist not mentioning your cinema experience with this film. <laughs> so it's our friend Oliver, who we haven't had on the podcast in a very long time since Unappreciated Masterpieces. Um... There was a period where he had moved two states over in Australia somewhere, and there was a cinema in the area that he was staying in that had, I think, decent uh, ticket prices, even for IMAX. So I don't remember if it was IMAX, but he went to a cinema by himself to see this film that uh, he'd heard of called The Snowman, because, you know, I think maybe he'd seen a trailer or a poster, or he knew the synopsis and it sounded interesting. Um, And I can't remember if this is true or not, but I think there weren't many people in his cinema at the time. Mm. So 
given the fact that we know what the film is, we find great amusement in the idea of him sitting alone, not knowing what he's in for, for this film. <laughs> That's it. That's what amuses me, is he did not know that this was an incomplete film. He did not know that prior. We did, so we were walking in. I think we told him, right? baggage we told him after the fact like months and months Long later when i heard fact. this story and i was like dude dude it's because it's not a complete movie and he was like of course and he had this dawning realization like it all makes sense the puzzle pieces fit now like uh, yeah and i love the idea of just some person who's a relative any old person but particularly like a person who's relatively intelligent buying tickets to see a movie that has prestige behind it this is executive produced by Martin Scorsese who's going to direct this movie is based on a popular book and a series of books. It's got Michael Fassbender, who's one of the most respected actors working today, even though I don't think he's made... He's been a part of a good project in at least five years. And, because really, look at his IMDb catalogue in the last five years. He's had some stinkers. But he... He is a respected actor, and you have all these other respected people. J.K. Simmons won, won an Oscar around this time, you know, a bit before. So so there's all these things here. The, the, the director is a well-respected director as well, the guy who did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, one of the one of the most acclaimed spy movies of, of the last decade. So you have all of these pieces that should fit, and none of it, none of it lands. None of it. And I just love the idea of just some person getting a ticket thinking, oh, I'm going to be seeing a great movie. It's going to be like the new Seven, but it's about snow, snowman motif. And then you watch a movie that's incomplete and you walk out of it frustrated. And like most people, you don't look up why the movie's fucked up. You just go, that movie was shit and you don't understand why. But the understanding of why is what makes this movie brilliant. Yeah, we really take for granted the fact that every time we watch a film, there is the expectation of like, oh, well, it's finished and it's been released. Keyword yeah, finished. Especially major films, major big budget movies oh, yeah, yeah. That, uh, from, from, you know, the big studios and the big people. Like this is... Amazing, amazing stuff. So, Bartek, when yeah. you first watched it, mm -hmm. you were a bit tired. You were struggling to, to, you know, keep all the details, but it seems like you did have most of the details. Um, so I'm not going to ask what you thought of it as a film the first time because, you know, you had a bit of baggage viewing it the first time. But how did you feel about it this time? Do you like it? Because I <laughs> love it. <laughs> you know, one thing that I was uh, worried about, the thinking that was stacked against me, was um, the fact that I was going to watch it alone and you were probably going to watch it with your wife. So that was probably going to be on <laughs> me that I wouldn't enjoy it as much. I did, though, get a couple of, you know, laughs out of it. I think even immediately... Yeah. The, the dubbing... Yeah. On, on the like dubbing the, and the, the editing. Yeah, like, honestly, in, in our experiences doing, like, Mystery Box and all that, um, and, and the other podcasts, you often bring up, you know, bad dubbing, and I'm not as keen on hearing that, but for this film, I, I was definitely hearing the dubbing. And seeing it. That's the most important part, is seeing the bad yes, dubbing yep. <laughs> Val Kilmer. <laughs> Um, before, yeah, and of course I love this, I love this movie for the ironic reasons, but also for the pleasurable reason of, this is an oddity. You don't get a film like this. You don't get a, a big film with this level of, of prestige behind the camera and in front of it, 
fail in this particular fashion of they didn't film the entire film and yet they released it anyway. Usually they shelve these movies and try not to release them or or they put more money in and do lots of reshoots and this movie has reshoots in it. You can tell when there's been reshoots as well. There's visual things like Michael Fassbender's got a mustache at the end and you know that there's reshoots and yet they used reshoots instead of filming the parts that needed to be filmed. It's amazing. It's amazing. And I just love the intricacies of this failure. And that is what I love. I don't just love the wacky shit that's in this movie because there's lots of wacky shit. But from a from a meta level, from an industry level, this is one of the most fascinating train wrecks. Forget the, you know, forget the Snyder Cut train wreck stuff. This is what interests me more. This is what, and that they wanted this to be a franchise as well. And yeah, you know, they wanted this to be a franchise, a film that they didn't release in its full entirety. They were like, ooh, we could still try and make it a franchise. It's, it's amazing. I love it. And just to let everyone know, Ryan owns this on DVD. Okay, let's talk about that. Okay. <laughs> so I bought this and the Book of Henry on DVD at the same time and yep. we were in a JB Hi-Fi Bartek and I, uh, you know, a retail store that sells a whole bunch of shit and we were looking at DVDs and they had those like two for 20 or whatever and I was like, oh, Book of Henry and I was like, I need another schlocky, fun silly bad movie or kooky, zany, weird idea movie and it was like, oh, there's a snowman Yeah, but and Bartek, I think we saw it like a month prior too Yeah, and you were like, really? You want to buy that? I'm like, yes! Yes! But Bartek, we weren't alone, were we? No. There was a scent in the aisle. <laughs> and a man, too. Yeah. Uh, you want to clarify on that? So, I I did not see the man. Um, <laughs> at some point, we were just, you know, looking at the DVDs, and I just noticed that there was a, a strong scent of urine in the aisle. And, mm-hmm. I, and I, I... Since I didn't see... Uh, the person that was in the aisle with us, I just said to Ryan, like, man, it really smells like urine here. And the guy was right there. <laughs> <laughs> it was There was a homeless man in the aisle with us, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then he, his smell was wafting as we were waiting at the checkout, which was right near the aisle anyway. So we were like, oh my God, I can't escape this. And it was a sign of things to come because... Then the Book of Henry DVD was broken or malfunctioned while we did the episode, or it was yeah, jittery. Yeah, VLC didn't like it. <laughs> it was jittery, and then the Snowman DVD was perfect. It worked, but Bartek, here's something you're missing out on on the DVD. Here's Ryan, Ryan's quick uh, uh, DVD powwow review. Um, the Snowman has, like, five trailers before you can get to the credits that you can't skip. Oh, dear. I love those. Love them. It, although it didn't have all that don't pirate kind of stuff. It didn't have any of that, which was very interesting because I guess they want you to pirate it is the logic. But the menu is amazing. It is the most simplistic menu. It's just like the picture on the poster of him standing out in the snow. But the icons are just the generic icons, like a triangle button for play, a, a book for chapter selection, an asterisk for... For special features. Are you saying that it was as plain as the opening credits? Yes, even plainer, because these didn't even have words. They were just these images, <laughs> the like symbols. these icons, the icons, the symbols. And and it was amazing. I, I just went, they really shelled out for this menu on this <laughs> DVD. I, I loved it. Yeah, not, not everything can be Story of Ricky DVD menu. No, no. Uh, 
So before we get into the minutiae of this film, the ins and outs, the plot, Harry Hole, um, the book, the editing and all that, what I really want to preface this all with, and I've already kind of done it, but I just really want to say this, is this film did not get 15 to 20% of it made and put to screen at all. That is not the only problem. This is the big problem that people walk away from having seen it, but this is not the only thing. And Bartek and myself and my wife and our friend Will, we all noticed that this wasn't the only problem when we first watched it. If you have a keen eye, it's not just that. It's like Bartek said, there's issues with dubbing, sound design, sound mixture, music, acting, casting, direction in just general terms, cinematography, color grading, the list goes on. Props. You're never supposed to notice props unless they're supposed to be very like, ooh, there's a mug in this scene that we will be talking about later yeah. that is such a baffling thing. And it's like, this is what I mean. It's not just the baffling thing of the editing. It's the baffling thing of, it seems like every creative choice made was... A baffling choice down to wrong actors playing roles or or dubbing an actor over and and stuff like this it just goes on and on and on it's not just the editing although the editing Bartek and I will most likely agree is the most atrocious element of the film but <laughs> it isn't the only problem and it makes me go even if they did film the other percentage of this movie this would still be a bad movie do you agree on that Bartek? Yeah, yeah, and it's also a thing of they, with putting the film together, they acknowledge that the the, the thing, the film isn't finished, and they made choices, uh, you know, with dubbing and editing and such, um, to try and work around that. So even if they did have, you know, the extra scenes, the film would still, the, the content that we got would also be different. They tried to fix it in post, which is yeah. rule number one of that's not what you do. <laughs> you don't fix it. It's like Ed Wood made this. <laughs> ah, it's, act it's adding to the realism that J.K. Simmons doesn't sound British because he's supposed to be Norwegian, whatever. <laughs> so, Bartek, let's talk about, other than the editing, the most prolific thing that this movie has is the lead character's name is Harry Hole. Yep. <laughs> you f you find that funny? Did you find that funny the first time? Because it's inherently funny, and I just want to know: Did it get to you still? I, it's not something that I found, you know, super hilarious, but it is a very silly name, especially when you consider the because this is an adaptation of a book. There were certain elements of the book uh, regarding his name that were meant to be played off as a joke, but the, the, the MO modus operandi of the film seems to be taking everything super seriously. I think I was, I think it might've been in the video for the trailer on YouTube or one of the other related videos. Um, I think one of the top comments was from someone who had read the very first book in the series. Cause the snowman is an adaptation mm. of the very first book they mentioned that there's a, there are characters in that film in sorry in that first book that make fun of Harry Hole's name because they themselves are not Norwegian and they find the name funny so it, it yeah. goes to show that the the books have a cer certain sense of humor about them that is 
either completely lost on the people that made this film or they just didn't care. I think that they didn't care. I think it's the fact that they wanted this to be the new seven. They wanted this to be this new gritty thing, but they've got this pro- this thing, this this source material that is self-aware. It's funny, or at least it winks and nudges at its at its ludicrous nature of being a pulpy kind of airport reading kind of book that's for dads. And the general premise of this movie, I've your friend Oliver, other people, critics, there are so many people that say, the hook's interesting. The hook is the silliest thing in the movie. Like, the, the idea of there's a killer who makes snowmen at the scenes and, and puts their body parts on the snowmen or puts snowmen parts on their bodies. That's, like, one of the most ludicrous parts of this whole hook. And the movie never acknowledges how silly it is. And so that makes us, the audience, acknowledge it, which the film doesn't want us to do. And yeah, and just to be clear once again, that is a comedic part of the book that it's adapted from. And to talk about Harry Hall, Harry Hall, from my understanding, he's a, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is a translated from Norwegian or Scandinavian and his name isn't Harry Hall, it's Harry Hula or something like that. Yeah, something like that. And in that language, that translates to what Harry Hill or something. Yeah, Hill. But Hill. that's what it was. When you Anglo-Saxonize it, it's Hula sa- turns into Hall. Why didn't they keep Harry Hill? That sounds so much better, and it sounds like a detective's name, Harry Hill. Doesn't that sound like a detective's name to you? Yeah, alliteration can be a very catchy thing for a character, but if it's if it's something silly like Harry Hall, then it's silly. <laughs> And we just got to say up front why it's funny that his name is Harry Hole. One, it sounds like Harry Hole. It makes you think of a hairy butthole. But two, most people say hole a lot in this movie. And you think of buttholes in general, but just the repetition of so many people say their full names at each other, especially him. Oi, Harry Hall, Harry Hall, it's Harry Hall. And it's so amusing already to me when characters need to state full names at each other so we, the audience, remember it. But it's not like we, the audience, are ever going to forget that the lead character's name is Harry Hall. <laughs> yeah, if anything, we want to try to remember all the... Because, we, you know, we're not Norwegian. All the Norwegian names more than yeah, ex- you know, the, the, the very Western-sounding Harry Hall name. Harry Hall. Now, Bartek, removing the fact that we knew that this was an incomplete film and that would bring hilarity onto the proceedings, when you heard about what the snowman was, the pitch of it, mm-hmm. did that sound like a genuinely interesting hook to you? Remove what we know now in retrospect about the behind the scenes and, and the source material. When you hear it's about a detective solving these crimes that are snowman related, does that sound like a genuinely interesting movie to you? Like like, like a, a serious drama that you would want to see? Uh, I'm not sure if I knew that hook uh, before I watched the film. I just knew mainly the incomplete thing and, you know, the main character's name is Harry Hole. Um, it doesn't sound like a premise that's impossible to work with. Uh, it's, it sounds like it's something that you can at least do on a, you know, 50% uh, you pass level, but... To fail so strongly and to have a silly thing at the same time. Yeah, that's, 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 as you would say, a spicy meter ball. 
I do say that sometimes, don't I? That's why I say it well. Yeah, I just, like I said, I think it's stupid. I think that the fact that this film took it seriously when the hook, I think, is genuinely silly from the get-go. I don't know how you can film these any type of snowman, that a real snowman made of snow or whatever, not like a guy in a costume or animated, to be scary. Because the way that they do it, they do try to film them like they're scary, but that makes them funny. I don't know if you laughed every single time they had a dramatic close-up or zoom or pan to a snowman looking frowny, but I did. I laughed every time. No, I didn't laugh, but it was always a thing of like, yep, not working yet. Still not working. (laughs) Come on, what about the bit where it was like a normal snowman, like a three-tier snowman, and then on the back of it, it was like the the frowny snowman that we know. (laughs) How can you not call that a joke? Seriously. That was so fucking funny. (laughs) So, we will talk about the, sh- the, the the thread of narrative that's in the film, but i got to say, one of the things that I found interesting, Bartek, was I remember that we were all guessing when we first watched it who the murderer was, because this is a murder mystery film. We were all guessing who the murderer is. And I think at the time, I was the one who picked the murderer straight away, like, oh, it's this guy. But I remember at the time, I don't know if it was you involved, but I know my wife and Will were saying and debating that they thought it was Harry who was the killer. And having watched the film again, thinking that notion, the film does exactly that. The film does a, a, a weird thing of, because of the editing and the visual language, implicates that Harry's the killer at points for no reason. And... I don't know if you picked up on any of that on this watching or the first time, but it's just so weird to me. Um, I guess, uh, weirdly enough, one of the things that I was thinking about when I was watching this was, um, you know, the video game Heavy Rain? Uh, I've heard of it. Uh, I got told one time for not having played it that I was an imbecile and an idiot <laughs> and and that I, I should play it because it's the most ingenious game ever and that makes me never want to ever, ever, ever play it ever. Uh, I also haven't played it, but I've seen the playthroughs of it, and there were a lot of things in this film that were, like, almost exactly the same as Heavy Rain. (laughs) But that's the thing. Do we think those things are from the book? And David Cage, who did uh, Heavy Rain, took those from the book? Because we know a lot of David David Cage games are rip-offs of already existing popular things, and he is a Mm -hmm. European man. So it's not like he doesn't know what this franchise of books are. Just saying. Yeah, it could be. But Bartek, you yes. haven't read the you haven't read the book? No, what's wrong with me? Here's the thing, Bartek, here's a pitch to you. I'm a studio executive no no. You're a studio executive man. I'm the writer and I'm adapting these books. Okay? And yep. I say to you, hey, I want to adapt these Joe Nesbo books. They're very popular, and I lay out all the statistics and the money of how popular these books are, and you're impressed, yeah? Give me your mm-hmm. impressed voice. Oh, yeah, I'm very impressed. I'm going to put down the script of The Irishman for a second and listen to you. Wow, I thought J.K. Simmons was right here because of how good that was. <laughs> uh, but uh, um, And I say to you, I want to make this into a franchise. Imagine we could have our own MCU, but a serial killer series and you're interested, you're like, mm-hmm, go and give me your, mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, yeah, mm. mm. Exactly. And then I say to you, it would be a bit silly, of course, 
to take these at face value because they're kind of silly books. How about we make them gritty? How about we get Martin Scorsese? I think he'll be interested. What do you think? You think Martin will do it? I think he will. I think he'll like it, yeah. How about we adapt the seventh book in this series and still keep all the continuity of these pre-existing books as if this is the seventh film, but this is the first entry? Well, you know, if they could justify making a seventh book when the idea behind making a product out of a character is, is this the most interesting day of this character's life, and if not, why haven't you written about it? Surely the seventh one is the most interesting. I'll take that check, please. And that's how this feels, because this is, the well, I think, the seventh book in the series, or at least late in the game of this series of books, and... They adapt it as if this is a movie series that we are viewing in the middle of because there's so many interplays of characters and backstories that aren't fully explored but are implied because if you've read the book, you get it. Or do you? I've never met anyone who's read this book who's talked about the film. But did that strike you as odd, Bartek, when watching it? Uh, not as much, but there was definitely an element of, uh, oh, these all these characters that I've met uh, are supporting characters that have been on, or have had experiences with Harry, and we're just supposed to, I guess, uh, gauge how close they are based on how they talk to each other. It feels like we're in season three of a crime show, like, <laughs> and we're supposed like, to understand oh. it all. Oh, so when Harry fell asleep at the end of season two at the park bench, ooh, that this is what happens after that. When he shot a kid, yeah. And then he has to be near kids, apparently, is what was originally in the script and all the books. I don't know. Uh, so let's talk about it, Bartek. Let's get into the plot of the snowman. Could you please tell me the plot of the snowman to your best ability of what happened what is this film about yep so the premise is that um a bunch of women are disappearing and or being found dead uh, with a snowman motif near them uh oh some of them are being decapitated and have snowman heads in place of their their heads um or their and, head put on a snowman's body. Or their heads put on a snowman's body, and um, we are we are in we are given a a slight uh, branch of uh, insight at the very beginning of the film when we see the backstory of a, a young child who we we gather is okay. This person is going to grow up to be the killer, but we don't know this character's name. So throughout the film, we're going to be guessing like, oh, which of these adult male characters was that kid? Um, so that's, that, that's a point of intrigue for the, for the plot in terms of, uh, trying to work out the mystery as you're watching the film. Uh, and the person who is investigating this series of kidnappings and murders is Detective Harry Hole. Um, <laughs> and he's given, he, 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 he receives a new partner named K Katrina, K K Christine, what was it? Uh... It was Katrine. 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 Um, who seems to have an ulterior motive of her own uh, and a broken mug. Uh, <laughs> and as they, they, they investigate leads very slowly. Um, and when they're not investigating, uh, we are learning about Harry Hole's ex-girlfriend and her son, who's also his son, but he doesn't know that. And nor does anyone, no one does, really. No one does. 
Um, oh, and they have the the, the ex girlfriend has a new boyfriend, but I don't think he does anything in the film. Um, <laughs> his name is Matthias, uh, and oh oh, um, Harry Hall is very close to the the the, the kid um, because he knows that he's the father. I think it was. A, I think that was but he also doesn't know that uh, is very odd. But he's close to the kid. But Bartek, mm-hmm. what's his character flaw again? He's an alcoholic, Harry. An so al- he keeps fucking up as a parental figure for this kid because he keeps getting sloshed and falling asleep in streets where people take pictures of him, print them out, put him in a little frame with a vignette around it. <laughs> yep. Sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, and I guess as the film develops from that uh, very clear setup, uh, it's all about developing those little plots of, oh, Harry and the kid up to a point, and Harry and Katrine investigating um, the the murders, and also there's a side thing of um, nine years prior, another detective was sort of kind of investigating the, the similar incidents, um, and we get a mm. little bit about him. But not really. He is but physically really. there, but we don't understand anything that's going on. Like, it makes sense, kind of, but not actually. There's no actual gain to those scenes. And Bartek, at one point, there's a concert. Ah! And yes. we are supposed to understand what that was. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And then at the end, you know, you find out who the killer... Oh, Bartek, 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 whoa, 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 slow down. How do the Winter Games factor into all of this? Um, well, I have to say that, as far as I'm concerned, Oslo has already won. <laughs> and there, for some reason, you got a bunch of red herrings, including J.K. Simmons, who's a guy, a businessman, and he's related to the past incident in some way, and so that's why he's a suspect, and... Then the movie picks the killer out of the hat, and you go, yay! Oh, but Bartek, Bartek, whoa, whoa, slow down, slow down. We missed an important subplot. One that's vital. No, 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 no. Even more vital. The key? No, no, no. Even more vital. Does Harry's apartment have mold? (laughs) Oh, yes, yes. Harry's apartment does have mold, and therefore, as you would do if you have mold in your home, you'd have a man hired to remove the mold. Is it just a man, or is it a man and his little puppy that he brought for no reason? The answer is yes, Spartak. The answer is yes. Oh, yes, yes. That's right. He had a puppy. (laughs) Because then later, when we see that guy standing outside of Harry's apartment at night for no apparent reason holding the puppy, it's so that we know that that guy wasn't actually inside the building when the guy in the hazmat suit was dancing around. Oh, Bartek, how does popcorn by uh, by hot butter factor into this? How does the popcorn song factor into all of this? Uh, The answer is very well. (laughs) Yeah, and then at the end, the movie just decides, ah, this is the killer. Um, ah, my God, the film's a mess. It is, but I loved it. I will say this, though. Yep. In defense of some things, if there's anything it, that we can say are defendable. In defense of popcorn? Um, They do have clues to who the killer is well, in well, yeah, the film, the, but the they don't... The note said that they left all the clues... They did have clues that we, the audience, could figure it out, but they never had the clues for Harry to figure it out. That's the issue. Mm. There is a lot of clues, like the fact that the killer is a smoker and there's only one other person other than Harry that smokes in the film. 
they clearly have some kind of medical background because they have like medical equipment and they have those little needles with the drugs. They wear gloves. We've seen certain characters wear gloves and certain ones not wear gloves. We know it's a man. We know that the killer, this, this, this. We know several things. But the problem is the audience knows this, but the characters don't. Mm. And that's inexcusable. Like, as great as it is, I could defend it by going, oh, they did at least put some breadcrumbs there. Yeah, but not for the characters. <laughs> so, one of the things I do love about this uh, movie is the inexcusable, inexcusable sound mixing. Bartek, you briefly touched upon some of it by saying certain phrases that only I understand in your synopsis. C- but... Certain key phrases? We watched this film, like I said, uh, a pirated copy that was early available and it had subtitles and and it had cut moments of violence. So, and it had very bad sound mixing. And I was very worried that maybe it was just that copy of the film we had. I was worried about that, Bartek, because we would often make fun in conversation about the sound mixing. Like, oh, there's a scene in which Harry throws some keys on a table and it sounded like we were in in, in a war. It sounded like a shell yeah. being dropped. The the person with us who was falling asleep woke up. You woke up. Yes. And and there's lots of stuff like that. Or there was a scene where we couldn't hear characters that well because all we could hear were pigeons. And Oh, yeah, that was a thing, wasn't it? And here's the thing, Bartek. I have a nice sound system. I bought this on DVD. The sound mixing is bad. It was that bad. Like, the keys weren't as loud, but... They were still loud, and the pigeons, I could just hear pigeons in the scene in the what looked like the library, but was a police station. And I, it's inexcusable. I don't understand how they fucked that up. There's so many scenes in which you could just hear background things very obnoxiously or poorly done. And Bartek, there's one that I really, really hope that you heard, but you might not have, but it's very early on. Harry goes to visit his ex-girlfriend for the first time. He, she's at an art gallery that does not matter to the plot. Although mm-hmm. in the trailer it seems like it does because the body's found in an art gallery, but whatever. Uh, he goes to visit her by looking through the window and she looks at him and she's got like these old people clients and she's explaining like this painting that is very obvious character stuff in which she says... Oh, this was made by a painter who was a little bit older and he got this younger woman pregnant, but then he couldn't be a father because he was an alcoholic. Like, that's literally what she says. Yeah, yeah. But do you remember when she looks at Harry through the window and you hear the elderly old man dubbed in the background, what's supposed to be just background noise, but it comes across very frontward. He says, and I quote, Oh, I I didn't know that. Oh, that's great. No, I didn't notice that. I'll have to check to it after. You need to that again. And you'll yeah. hear an old man go, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. And it's amazing. I, well, I that's was, why he's at the art gallery. <laughs> I'm pissing myself laughing. I was just, I was on the floor nearly. And I had to rewind it because I thought I was daydreaming. I'm like, no, that can't be in the movie. And that was, that was <laughs> the big tip off. It was in the movie. <laughs> so did you have problems with the sound in this movie like I did on this watch? Um, I think it was worse the first time we watched it, but yeah, the the sound was still very noticeable. Did you notice the pigeons again this time round? 
The pigeons, not as much, actually, but the key was still there, and <laughs> most of the other things were there as well. Just odd, odd stuff, and you just, and like, that goes into the dubbing aspect of it. There's just so many perplexing choices made. Um, we didn't know before going in the first time about Val Kilmer. We've got to talk about Val Kilmer and what yeah. they did. What do you, okay, you explain what happened with Val Kilmer. Do you, you know what went wrong with him, yeah? Yeah, so, and I'll just preface this by saying that I actually am not too familiar with what Val Kilmer's actual voice sounds like, so every time we bring up, brought up Val Kilmer, you know, prior to this rewatch, I always thought to myself, oh yeah, there was something with his voice, but I couldn't remember what it was. But upon this rewatch, even not knowing what he normally sounds like in real life, I could tell what was going on, and I could definitely see why it's memorable. Um, so, in real life, Val Kilmer, I think in 2015, developed like a tumour in his throat, and the... Are you there, Ryan? Yeah, I'm listening, man. Yep. Um, and in the process of healing that, um, his throat was basically permanently damaged in a way that his voice now is just like this kind of raspy voice, um, and it's very difficult for him to speak, and you can see that in his, you know, mouth movements. Um, and they decided to mm. cast this guy as a character. <laughs> yeah. With the intention of having him be, you know, legible. Um, but when all was said and filmed and done, uh, they needed to dub him. And the voice that they gave him was, like, just pure cartoonish voice acting, in a way. Like I thought it was a South Park guy. It sounded like a South Park voice, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, it's like, whenever you, whenever you want to make fun of someone and, you know, repeat the words that they said, you tend to, like, jump to certain, you know, dumb guy imitations. Like, oh, duh, I'm a dumb guy, I say this. Um... <laughs> This voice sounded like it was going for, like, a a mumbly, not-too-confident-in-his-words kind of thing. It was like, oh, yeah, well, what are you doing? Kind of thing. Yeah, Jimmy Stewart type. Yeah. And there's reasonings as to why. We know this. We, we watch a video, but you could also just deduct it logic. Like, this guy's got a fucked-up voice, so his mouth is moving in a very peculiar way to how a normal person would speak in a way that you could easily dub them. Two, people do know what Val Kilmer sounds like, so you have to not only match what Val Kilmer sounded like on the day, so it matches the vocal, like his, not only his lips, but his throat and his facial movements, but also you have to match what he sounded like on the day mixed with what people know he sounds like because people aren't familiar with how he sounds like because mm -hmm. of this surgery. And it's like, could anyone do it? But for some reason, they also want to mix it so it sounds like an old-school 1930s detective. Because he also sounds like that, with that Jimmy Stewart kind of thing going on. And it, it's so perplexing. But here's the thing, Bartek. What would you do if you were, if this was handed to you, this problem, how would you solve it? <sighs> yeah. I mean, I did notice that the very, like, the first two or three lines he had were... Um, you know, shots from behind him so you couldn't see his lips. Um, <laughs> a lot so of that... shots were done in that way. <laughs> yes, yes, but I noticed that after two or three, they started showing a lot of, you know, his front because, you know, I guess it would be way too noticeable because it was too subtle at that point. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think if I were in their shoes, maybe the first thing I'd do would be to do the, exactly what they did do, but then I think I'd look back at it and say, this doesn't work. Let's do something else. I think for me, as someone who appreciates the craft of acting and the craft of filmmaking, and I understand that uh, ADR and dubbing and all that is a very essential part of, of, of filmmaking. I'm not blind to that. I think that they, from my point of view, as a, as something of respect to the performance, if they're going to hire this guy in the first place, film him speaking and doing all this, I think they should have just kept it in. I think they should have just kept his voice as it was. Yeah. Because... Not only is it jarring and very obvious, and it affected the editing, which is already being affected in the movie, it is disrespectful to Val Kilmer. And maybe Val Kilmer doesn't care, but I, it, to me, it's such an, a low-effort solution and such a disrespect to Val Kilmer, who has gone through something traumatic. He, he had cancer of the throat, and now it's fucked up his voice, and this is a guy who's an actor, so this is going to fuck up his line of work. But hey, you got a job, and you know they're filming him, and and, and I I doubt that people on the set or whatever the director were raising this as a big concern or let him know fully from the get go that they were going to dub him. I think he was performing it, and then maybe later he was told that he was going to be dubbed over. But I think it's just they should have kept his voice, uh, even if it sounded fucked up. I think they just should have kept it. It would have matched what we were seeing, if anything. I mean, it would have given us something else to laugh at in the movie, sure. In an alternative universe where that was the only problem that they fixed. But <laughs> I think it's more genuine. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just disrespectful. And I think it's a shame. And it's one of those things where you just go, what the fuck? And again, casting. Why did they cast him if they knew that he was sounding like this? Because this was before... He was filming his scenes. They knew this. Like, I don't understand why they cast him. It's so confusing. For the big name. For the big name. But Val Kilmer's not even that big of a name nowadays. It's confusing. Um, it's because the snowman dubbed him, so he's not a big name anymore. You had all the clues, Mr. Director. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about the casting? Um, sure. How many of these actors are you familiar with and or like or dislike? Um, not super familiar with most of them, but I, I've seen them in, you know, two, three things. Like, I know J.K. Simmons, he's been on Unappreciated Masterpieces a few times, and of course Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Um, I've seen Michael Fassbender in a, not many things. I don't know, I've seen Prometheus, I know I've seen this, I think there's something else I've seen him in. Glorious Bastards? Yes, I've seen Inglorious Bastards. Um, who else do we have here? Uh, I'm not Rebecca. sure. I'm not sure what Val Kilmer films I've seen. I think maybe when I was younger, I saw the Batman film he was in. Um, was he in the one that had Jim Carrey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I've, I've definitely seen that one at some point, but I can't remember it very well. Um, those are the main ones that I can think of. Not Toby Jones. Oh, of course, Toby Jones, yes. Also been on Unappreciated Masterpieces a few times. Um, he may or may not have a penis in this movie, unlike in <laughs> Your Highness, where he definitely does not have a penis. <laughs> yes, well, I, sh I should know the answer to that. He's, he's in this film so much. He is in the film. <laughs> he is in the film, yes. 
Uh, yeah, and there's just other people that are in the movie, and you're like, oh, okay, like there's Charlotte Gainsbourg, or there's Rebecca Ferguson, and those are like, okay, okay, those are respected people too, but these are all prestigious actors, or at least well-known actors, and um, you wouldn't be surprised that they're doing this type of movie. I think, for the most part, casting is pretty down pat. I think Michael Fassbender is an obvious choice for this kind of grizzled detective. I think Rebecca Ferguson's a, a pretty good choice for this kind of, you know, self-motivated, self-driven, kind of brash, younger detective. I think, you, you know, even Val Kilmer could be a good you know, older detective who's a mirror of our lead character, even if he's got a fucked up voice. But I I, I, I think there's just odd casting choices of like, okay, Val Kilmer's fucked up voice, don't cast him. But here's the biggest thing, Bartek. J.K. Simmons is in this movie, and you said a few things. You didn't say Whiplash in there. I don't know if you have or have not seen that movie, but that's a great I film. Haven't. We know what J.K. is. We know what type of guys he plays. He plays very brash very stern authoritarian figures he plays a lot of authority figures he can play humble figures he's a very versatile actor but what we do know is he's not british <laughs> is that a fair statement Bartek? no that's definitely a fair statement but he's british for no reason in this movie is that not correct yes he, he is british in this could you give me your jk simmons trying to be british voice Oh god, I remember there was one word he said that sounded really forced. It was something like opportunity or something. Or, uh, I can't remember. He I sounds was... like this. We're going to be hosting the Olympic Games. No, the, the Winter Games. It's so forced. It sounds like a, like a cartoon character. Yeah, he sounds nothing like he did in Jennifer's body. No, not at all. And here's the thing. Bartek, Toby Jones is in the movie. Toby Jones is a creepy-looking dude. He plays creeps, he plays weirdos, and he is British. I pledge to you, could they not have switched that casting around? Could they not have had Toby Jones as the rich, powerful British billionaire guy who's a sexual pervert? And they had J.K. Simmons as the old, withered police figure? Yeah, I think just the one aspect that they'd have to work on would be that J.K. Simmons's public per- uh, perception was, like, super charismatic, so they would have to, I think, find a way to have Toby Jones nail that part down. I've seen um, him but- do some similar things where he's supposed to be, like, you know, somewhat charismatic, but you know he's a little bit of a creep. Um, yeah, maybe if they just dress him up in a way that they dressed up J.K. Simmons, yeah, I think he could he could do it. And and he just that's the thing. I already fixed the movie in one way. J.K. Simmons is giving this clown, and he gives up on the accent at one point. Like after a certain point, he just stops doing it. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I like that your method is um of fixing the film is uh replacing J.K. Simmons rather than telling J.K. Simmons, hey, don't do that accent. <laughs> no, I know. I know, but he's wrong, casting-wise, anyway. It doesn't feel right that he's, like, this, like, billionaire guy who really cares about the Winter Games, and, like, he's supposed to be, like, posh. Because that's the thing, he's supposed to be posh, and I don't buy that from JK. I think of him as J. Jonah Jameson, you know, a loud, brash, you know, no-nonsense kind of guy. And that's the kind of guy who could play a cop. It's just... 
it's so amusing to me. I, I do agree. A lot of my problems is just replacement, not just do the acting better or do the mug <laughs> scene better. Um, you got to talk about the mug. Okay, this was something I noticed on the first watch, and it was no, it gave a me? little. Was it you? I thought. Okay, it let's say me. Bartek noticed this on the first watch. There's a mug in this movie that makes no sense. And I've been worried, Bartek, about this mug for the months since, like, the years since we've seen this movie, that maybe we were wrong. But mm. I looked and we were right. Yeah. When we- I was watching the film, like, for the most part, so the thing about this mug being broken is it's the handle that's broken. Um, you know, you you can't hold it as you would normally hold a mug with a handle. You have to, like, you know... Cup it. Put your hands all around it. Cup it. Um, so when we first see this mug, it's in the scene where Harry meets his partner for the first time. Um, she's cupping it, and you can see that, like, the top part's broken. Um, but, but because you don't see the bottom part, I was kind of thinking, like, oh, is that just, like, a weird thing about it? But then there's a point where Harry asks her a question, and she does that thing where, like, she puts one of her hands on her head or, like, stroke it, and you see the bottom part is also broken. So I was like, oh, nope, yeah, nope, that's definitely broken. I was worried, too, because I saw this top part of the handle. Now, this is hard to explain in audio function, but this mug has the top part of the handle where it curls over, and you're thinking, oh, maybe, and it doesn't attach to anything. You're going, oh, maybe, the, like, it's not a proper handle, but you use it to hang the mug up, you know, especially because yeah, this is yeah. an office place mug. But then she moves her hand, like you say, and you see the bottom part, and the bottom part is just like a little nub of the bottom part, and it's jagged, like it's broken. Yeah. And it's as quick as an eye. Like, you, you blink and you'll miss that. But I was looking out for it because I remember it from our first watch, and it's broken, it's jagged, and I'm just like, poor Rebecca Ferguson has to be, like, doing this acting because this is affecting her acting because you're noticing that she's holding this mug in this very odd way. And it's like, you're not supposed to notice that this mug is broken. And that's not a problem with not being able to film 15 to 20% of the movie. What went wrong on set that day? Why couldn't they get another mug? <laughs> or, or did they need a mug at all if it was broken? And I guess you could say, well, they are in Norway and it's cold. So she's warming up her hands by holding a hot mug. But it's stupid. And it's one of the little problems that builds into big problems. It's amazing. I've never seen a movie fail at such a big movie fail at such a little prop like that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because she was already one of the things that you're meant to notice about her, and and Harry Hold notices too, is um that her bag is slightly open. He notices a thing that's in the bag, so she's already having to you know uh, uh, work on her stance in such a way that we can see that. But now she's also having to cup this mug. It's amazing. I keep saying it's amazing because this is a nightmare movie. It's so hard to follow. Bartek, could you follow this movie? Like, I know you were remembering the details from last time, but, like, genuinely, were you able to follow any of it? Because there were so many points in which I'm like, I know what this is supposed to be, but I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I, I I followed it better this time around, but it was still tricky to follow. Yeah. Any highlight moments of absolute buttfuck confusion or, like, bewilderment? One one thing that I completely forgot about was the first scene with the mold guy. As we all do. When he <laughs> shoots him. And the guy doesn't even notice. 
when that happened, I was like, I do not remember this at all. I do not remember this being the Harry Hole character. Shoot first, ask questions later. Uh, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> yeah, the molds, yeah. the molds, he never factors into anything. And you could say, okay, it doesn't need to factor into plot. It can factor into character because you could say the molding on the inside of this normal looking place could be a reflection on Harry and his toxic addiction or whatever, but it never factors in even metaphorically or allegorically. It never does. It's just a red herring because then the killer's in his house pretending to be the mold guy later for no reason. And he's doing it late at night too, which if I was a detective, I would immediately know that this wasn't the guy. Because when Harry saw him in the morning, Harry was coming back home and it was probably like 10.30 in the morning because he was asleep in a bench. And you know what I mean, Bartek? These are the yes, things I yeah. think about and the film didn't think about these things. <laughs> the mold scene is a great... He shoots at the guy and the guy doesn't react. I know the guy's listening to music, but you, you know? I don't know. He, he, Harry was still aiming the gun when the guy noticed him. And the guy never acknowledges the gun. Yeah. That's the thing I never really noticed on the first watch is so many key moments, not just moments, but things, plots, elements, themes are never acknowledged. Like, this is called the snowman. And at no point do you have the scene where Harry sits down with his team and says, ah, there's been a snowman at every scene of the crime, like every crime scene. He never acknowledges that there's been a snowman motif going on. There's also, yeah. <laughs> There's also that moment where he's talking to one of the guys on his team and he asks him, like, can I keep this photo? And the guy's like, no. (laughs) No. So he asks the question verbatim again and the guy just goes, yes. That made the cut. (laughs) That made the cut. What was that adding? (laughs) But, but... For instance, they never delve into why he cuts up the body parts in this really peculiar manner. It's never explored. It's in the trailer. There's a line in the trailer about it, but it's not in the film. And there's a red herring implying that Harry is the killer with the sausage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what I mean. There's so many moments. And Harry smokes and Harry does this. There's so many red herrings about Harry being the killer. And the visual language of we see the killer being introduced, hard cut to black, hard cut to... An older man who's a drunkard sitting in a kid's bench looking depressed. And you're thinking, oh, this is where that kid has gone now as an adult. Yeah, and we learned from that opening scene that, like, oh, the kid discovered that his father is this, like, deadbeat dude. And a policeman. And Harry, yeah, and Harry seems to be a deadbeat dude. Who's a policeman. So it adds all these things. Here's something. Harry's an alcoholic. We don't see him drink. We see him with empty Mm. bottles. But we don't actually yeah. see him drink. Is that absurd or what? It feels like... Yeah, it feels like if you ever have an alcoholic character and the alcoholism is a part of their character, that is like a, you know, thing that you would say, oh yeah, we, we're going to have him drink at some point. And here's the thing. Although it's a defining character trait, what does him being an alcoholic add to this story? To this story, to this case, to this crime. I know it adds to his backstory with the broken relationship, but that relationship isn't the the, the, the big thing in this movie. It probably is in the other five, six books beforehand. But what does him, Bartek, him being an alcoholic, actually provide to this film? 
Yeah, I when I was watching it, I actually didn't know. I know that after I watched it, one of the videos that you sent me um, said that the idea initially was that Harry was dedicating his time to... Uh, dedicating his focus, rather, to solving the case so that he wouldn't drink. But in the film, I wasn't getting that impression at all. Nor was I. There's a bit yeah. in which she, Rebecca Ferguson, his partner, says, get your balls back, and passes him a glass of vodka, and he refuses to drink it. And it's like, <laughs> okay, maybe if this was all set up properly, this would be a great character, like, arc. Yeah. But if you didn't cut out the scenes of him drinking. Or never film them. <laughs> and <laughs> and this is what I mean. Like Our main character is an alcoholic and it never matters. It never matters. It never actually matters. And they never show him drinking. They show him passed out all the time. He's always waking up from things. There was a bit where when she, we meet her in the workplace in the police station, Rebecca Ferguson, and, and she walks past this door and there's like this big uh, couch or whatever and Harry wakes up from the couch and we, the audience, like, oh, Harry's there because he blended in with the couch. And... It's so amusing to me because last time we saw Harry, he was passed out on the street and now he's passed out in the office and it was like three or four scenes in a row of Harry being passed out in places that he shouldn't be. And then it never matters. It never matters that he is a drunk. It's it's one of those things that, or other things, Bartek, of, of uh, we are told that the killer's oper modus operandi, or MO, as we like to call it, don't we, Bartek? And yes. is that he likes to kill when it's snowing. It's always snowing because it's winter in Norway. <laughs> yep. And that never makes any sense. So wouldn't he be killing, like, every single day? <laughs> like, that was, and they say that, like, this is it. He kills when it snows. He cannot well, he stop. Has... Wouldn't he be killing but... every day? Well, no, because popcorn isn't always playing. Or he changes. They change the song later too when it's his ringtone. To the, I can't remember what that classical song is. But you oh, know. What the is it "Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy" or something like that? I can't remember if it's that or not. But yeah, it's it's absurd. And there's so many dropped elements of this movie because they didn't film them or they had to cut them because of what they did have in one work. There's there's so many. Um, Anyone, anything that you want to bring up, Bartek? Any point of discussion you want to touch on? Um, I was still amused at the fact that one of the women who got killed immediately reappears again, but no, it's her twin. <laughs> and it makes no sense that it never matters. Yeah, Chloe Seven's yeah. <laughs> character. Here's what I love, Bartek. She's a twin. The one that died had an accent, and she didn't. Why? <laughs> Why did that happen, Bartek? Answer mm. me! <laughs> Maybe she really didn't want to have an accent. I think she probably forgot that she did an accent when she was doing these reshoots. I think that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That That's really... that's That makes a lot of sense. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um... Here's something that I find very peculiar in the movie. There's so many, many things. But can we talk about that opening scene a little bit more? Where mm -hmm. we see the killer's backstory and it informs us on what the killer's whole motivations are? 
<laughs> yes. It doesn't... It doesn't really... And, and the killer doesn't really understand it, as we learn later. No, but... no he's an idiot, apparently. But yes, yes, let's go. Uh, in case you were very... If anyone was insecure that this was a European film, or set in Euro- Europe in some way, we do open with a great exam quiz session about Norwegian Parliament, <laughs> which... In case you were like, is this an American movie? No, it's in Norway. <laughs> that scene's supposed to be intense. That opening is supposed to be intense, isn't it? Yeah. Why isn't it intense, Bartek? What doesn't work about this scene? And says using this scene is a, a modicum of like the rest of the film. But what about this scene just doesn't make it scary? Any answers? Yeah, so, so just just to let everyone know what this scene is. So the 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 kid lives with his mum and the he doesn't know that it's his father, but his uncle comes to visit and to quiz him on um the history trivia that he he's been studying. Um and he asks him these questions of you know, he asks these questions and the kid has to answer them, and when the kid doesn't answer the question correctly, he hits his mum. Like, yeah. the uncle slash dad hits the kid's mum. And that's meant to be a threat, um, you know, not to get it wrong, because, you know, kid loves his mum. And, and mum's playing with coffee beans, which is very important. Yes, she's playing with coffee beans, which, which is what gets used on the snowmen throughout the film. Uh... I'm just trying to remember all the elements of this this scene because one of the things that I just kept focusing on was how his dubbing was just so prevalent for me. <laughs> yeah, the dubbing, but then then he randomly is like, okay, you got this intense scene, right? This very intense scene that would be like you could put that in a horror movie, you know, whether it be a genuine or a funny one, like like you could put the scene of your exam, you're doing this silly exam that doesn't actually matter, and it's showing that this character is a power mad person who's exploiting the weak. Yeah, psychological horror kind of thing could work. Then they randomly end the scene by being like, "All right, go outside and build a snowman, and I'm gonna fuck your mum." <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. And the kid builds a snowman, and he finishes it, goes inside, and the mum has this. W- Everyone has bedrooms and rooms with weird windows that would never have windows in places. Because, I, I, okay, Bartek, you visited, you know, different places to me. You've been in different countries, Poland, for example. Yep. I don't know yep. if you've been to many other European countries, but... A few. Maybe this is a European thing. How often do houses have windows on interior walls that are on the... A roof of it it's because in her bedroom the room has the wall where the door is where you enter there's a giant long window that spans across the top so that the boy can peer over it and see that they've just had sex and hear the conversation how many architectural things in Europe have that or is it just for this movie yeah it almost makes me question like maybe the purpose of that hall and that room wasn't meant to be a bedroom or, or a private room of some sort. Yeah, and if you do have that, why don't you have curtains? Mm. <laughs> Are you in unchanged? You, you know, you have curtains in your bedroom, or no matter what. Then you cl- when you get you get dressed in your bedroom, you sleep in your bed. You don't want fucking 
glass there that is just like, oh, the window's open and the curtains are open so my son can see me fucking? Like, (laughs) (laughs) the thing that, there's so many things that don't work in this scene, but Bartek, it's the editing. Yeah. How many random cuts and jumps and stop and starts are there just in that opening? It's it's insane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things that you linked me was um the forty. What's the folding ideas? Yeah, folding ideas did a art of editing. Yeah, and the big recurring thing about the snowman is that on paper a lot of things are working such as the shots that we are seeing are in chronological order and there are logic to them but the way in which they're executed and the way that we see them makes them jarring and makes us think that well well, just makes us feel really jarred like for example the mum leaves the room then it immediately cuts to her at the bottom of the stairs so it's like oh she just teleported but like the 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 sound design of the the scene between those two cuts is consistent. Yeah. So it yeah. gives us this illusion of like time is passing naturally, but if time is passing naturally, then she just teleported. Yeah, and they do that all the time. Or they do have ones that make no sense, like jump cuts. That they literally have jump cuts for no reason in the movie, but there are ones that aren't supposed to be jump cuts. Like the the scene that I think of and was used in that video as well is he's Harry Hole's sitting in the cafeteria talking to his boss, and the boss is like, you know, get your shit together, you know, here's a bunch of letters, and they're talking and they're having like usual shot reverse shot shot reverse shot, and then it cuts and the guy's somehow transported behind Harry and he's patting him on the shoulder, and you're like, what the fuck? In the other shot, he wasn't even moving like a you know the sense of movement of the guy was heading towards Harry. It's just a random jump cut now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I don't think he was behind him, but he was, like, right in front of him. Patting him on the shoulder, and it's just like, what's yeah. happening? And that's every scene in this movie. Yeah, and also every single one of the shot-reverse shots were, like, not... They weren't static shots. They were always, like, slightly panning. And... I think, yeah. And the editing is... <laughs> and we understand why it's like that. But even if you don't understand why it's like that, if you spend the whole movie and you see the editing, it shows you that this is being edited badly and you are sitting there going, why is it like this? And you start thinking about that instead of focusing on the murder mystery that's taking place. And that's what your friend Oliver said and that's what happens. You, You are focusing on... Even as a normal pleb who doesn't understand filmmaking, you're sitting there going, what's going on with the film? Which you aren't supposed to do. You were supposed to let the story speak for itself, at least in a story like this. Like, <laughs> yeah, You're meant to be drawn in. You're meant to let it pass by you. Just, like, experience it. Think about it, sure, but don't think about it on that level. Oh, one thing I love is, and I've never thought about this in places where it snows, and particularly in European countries where it's often snowing, or at least most of the year it is. Yeah. They, and I don't know if Norway falls into that, I don't know, but they have a kid's park, and the kids are playing around, Vartek, you know, they're on the swings, they're on the, the, you know, the kids stuff, whatever. Monkey bars and all, yeah. They have a sand pit? But it's a snow pit. And I've yeah. never considered that a thing before. That you'd have to deal with in winter. A sand pit. And mm-hmm. that 
instead of dealing with it by being like, ah, we just don't have kids play in the sand pit, that they convert it to a snow pit. I've never, it's never factored in my brain. As someone who lives in Australia and doesn't have to deal with snow as a concept, I've never thought of that. And I noticed it in this movie. I was like, hey, those kids are playing in a sand pit with snow. I guess it's a snow pit. Yeah, but also I think the reason why you wouldn't consider that, Ryan, is because technically the entire environment would be a snow pit during winter, so you Thank wouldn't have you. to confine yourself in this like little square. Thank you. That's what I was thinking. And I was like, yeah. but I guess there's also the reason of why why not? Why not? I really I really want to build a snowman, but I want it to be inside a square. Let's talk about the snowman a bit more. Why did they go the with this design? Or... Like, it's the most derpy, goofy, shitty-looking, pathetic snowman face, and they do the two-tier snowman. They don't do, like, the traditional three-level snowman with the, co- co- you know, with the with the carrot for a nose and buttons for mm. eyes and, like... the oh. Well, the decoy one was a three-tiered one, but, yeah, when it turned behind him, the, the face was on the second tier. And it was that, like, it looks like you just wiped dirt on it mm. instead of... Like, I know it's supposed to be coffee beans, but you can't even see the beans. He didn't put enough mm. beans. It's like, he just looks like he wiped dirt in, like, where the eyes and mouth are. But... Again, this isn't an editing problem. That was a decision that they made beforehand. And it's one of the detriments of the movie because, you know, you think of snowman imagery, you think of a certain type of imagery. You think of it with a hat or you think of it with a scarf. You think of it with the carrot nose and the button eyes Mm. and the three-level snowman. And I know you don't have to have it like that, but when you're pitching, this is a movie about snowmen being creepy. You're thinking you're going to get the iconic, what a snowman looks like. And instead, you get these derpy, pathetic-looking snowmen. And I'm not saying you can't shoot a snowman in a scary way in live action with real snow. But this film failed at it because they chose the stupidest design that isn't even the most conventional look of a snowman for no reason. Yeah, they... They made it incredibly simplistic when I feel like if you want to make a snowman creepy, I I feel like you'd want to add, like, one unconventional thing. Like, maybe, I don't know, have a streak of some red liquid on it or something. It's like, oh, that's that's not normal. Like, you know, something to make it stand out more than the joke that it is, but that the film wants to take so seriously. Yeah, and apparently on the IMDb back in the day, I don't know if it's like it now, and in the trailer... It's like stated, and like maybe I missed this in the movie because you, you, you know, I've mi- I, I, I'm saying I tried to be keen-eyed, but they say like the case gets kicked off when they find the snowman with the missing woman's scarf wrapped around its neck. I don't remember any snowman with that thing, but that could be something interesting. You have the clothes of the missing victims put on the snowman. That could be an interesting visual thing that makes it a little bit creepier. But in yeah, and make every snowman different too. Make every snowman different, but also like that they think the 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 mutated body, the 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 the, the mutilated bodies with snowman stuff, is the scary thing. But it's really silly. Mm. <laughs> Man, the CGI in this movie was fucking atrocious, wasn't it, Bartek? Yeah, yeah, the the heads. <laughs> the decapitated heads. Yeah, and there were some moments where it looks like they're on green screen too. Like I know that they didn't get the film in Norway the whole time; that the film in London in parts. So I feel like there are moments where they had the green screen the shit. 
it's 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 uh it's amazing. Um, I'm just looking at my notes because there's so many things to discuss. Harry Hole. Um, but back to that opening scene, just to go back to what we were discussing with the killer. Bartek, explain to me what the killer thinks his motivation is compared and without comparing it to what the film tells us it is like we the audience know what the killer's about but what does the killer think is about so the the that opening scene ends with the the father leaving uh, i think he even says he's leaving forever now that the secret's out that he's the father um and then the mum and the kid both get in the car and chase him um for but what at reason, some point who knows? For what reason who knows uh, to stop him because he's so vital he's 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 the motivator that teaches them about history um so they're driving after him the mum becomes semi-catatonic at one point and drives out onto the ice um the, the frozen lake uh the car starts sinking the kid gets out and the mum doesn't even try to get out um she smiles when she dies she smiles and the killer the kid who grows up um, believes that, wow, my mum didn't love me, I messed up because she chose to die instead of to live with me, uh, so I'm going to punish mothers. Bad mums. Bad mums. Bad Bad mums. But here's the thing, don't forget, Bartek, in that shot, the kid looks at his mum dying, and there's a shot that, and the kid sees it too, of the policeman dad looking at this happening, acknowledging it and not giving a shit and keep driving so yes the the killer must have thought like oh yeah look at that your mom didn't love you after all so the film thinks that the killer's motivation is that he didn't grow up knowing who his dad was he was raised by his mum by himself the mum reveals who the father is the father's like fuck you i don't give a shit both of you mean nothing to me I was just here to have sex and beat you up and I don't fucking care. You mean nothing to me. I don't give a shit. Drives off and the mum, you know, kills herself because of this. Um, She does it in a very unconventional fashion or at least very unrealistic to how you would do it. I don't know. She gets gets put in danger and doesn't bother to get herself out of it. She puts herself in danger for no reason at at what is an intense sequence in which they're trying to stop the guy from leaving for who knows what reason. But then suddenly she just decides, you know what? Death is what I want with my kid in the car. Yeah, and let's acknowledge another detail of earlier when she is getting, you know, beaten because the kid's answering the questions wrong. The kid doesn't like that, so that implies that the they have a level of closeness that she has been a good mother up to that point because he loves her clearly, and that she's a victim. So, and that she's a victim. Yeah. So everything that we, the audience, are seeing is, wow, the father sure is a dick. Um, the mother has been driven to death, and the son is sad about that. <laughs> That's what we see, and. So we, the audience, know, oh, the entire movie, by the way, the killer's thing is that he has a daddy issue. But the film thinks that it's a mummy issue. But the film knows it's a daddy issue because then at the end, Harry can moralize at him about, no, it's not a mummy issue, it's a daddy issue. And the killer never acknowledges it, really. He's just like, whatever. 
and I'll kill you now. Like, well, the revelation leads to his death. Yeah. But the revelation doesn't even, before he leads to his death, he never has that little moment where he's like, no, you're wrong, or I know what I'm about, or like he never even dawn- has a dawning realization or anything. He just goes, oh, whatever, and I'm going to kill you, and then he dies. Yeah, it's the, nothing. Well, Ryan, Ryan, be fair, that, that was part of the 15% that they didn't kill Sure him. it was. And that's the thing. That's so funny, because... We, the audience, know that the motive of the killer isn't what the detectives think it is or what the crimes are telling us, but then the movie's like, no, no, it is. The killer's just a dummy. He's just dumb. Except for he's incredibly intelligent. He knows how to play these psychological games, yet he's like a kid? I don't know, it's... It's very weird. It's like they wanted to have, like, a Hannibal Lecter-type serial killer, but also a serial killer with the mind of a child. Yeah, this also like master manipulator who can travel around undetected and set up things to be noticed. Ah, it's it's so odd that they did that. And that opening scene, you, you just don't care either. You don't care about the mum or the kid. You don't actually care because you don't know what's going on or you don't know them as people. And Here's the thing I will say to you, Bartek. How many people in this movie does he kill that actually fit his serial killer motive? Not as many as you would expect. He kills a lot of people that don't actually matter to the serial killer motive. He kills a lot of people randomly. That It's like the logic of the film is they were on to him. Yet we know that no character was ever on to him. Yeah, he kills, like, two or three men, too? Yeah. That doesn't fit into his logic of what his issue is. No, no, not at all. And they had nothing to do... No, There's no one who's ever onto him in the movie, yet he kills people because they were onto him? In what way? We'll never know. Like, Rebecca Ferguson gets killed in this movie. Apparently her character does not get killed in this movie. Um, yeah, in the, I was in this wondering... Story. Yeah, I was wondering why we weren't seeing her anymore because her whole thing was she was tranquilized and her finger was cut off while she was down. But then we saw her body, her dead body. Yeah. And I was like, oh, she's dead because there was a snowman oh, pressed get... on top of the car. Yeah. And her body had that like makeup effect, like her body had frozen in the cold and like like a dead person. Mm. Yeah, we, ne- we never learned the exact cause of death. I think the needle did it. I think yeah. with him, it's not even necessarily the decapitations that kill them. I think it's when he jabs them with that needle. Because there's a little needle thing that he jabs people with and it knocks them down and then he chops off their heads. And we assume it's the head chopping, but I guess the implication is it's just that the poison, there's a poison. Yeah, lethal injection. Which is the most humane way, I guess. Like, it just knocks them out and they go to sleep and never wake up. Like, for a guy who's, like, a brutal serial killer who really takes pleasure in brutalizing these women, he seems to really do it in a very humane way, considering. Yes. He'll, he'll, he'll lethally kill them. He'll desecrate the body afterwards. But he doesn't want them to suffer. <laughs> Isn't that weird? Yeah, I never, I didn't think about that. No, no, Baldick, the film doesn't want you to think about that. It wants you to think about it. Ah! That's a. That's it wants a me thing. to think about who the ki- who the who could the killer be. No, they want you to keep questioning what the fuck that that concert was. Can we talk about the concert now? <laughs> we we can try. <laughs> what the f- okay, Harry at the very beginning is introducing us, the audience, that he has a ticket to this show, 
and it has the little post note with the kid's name on it, it says birthday and he's like shit because he hasn't seen the kid to give him this present or whatever this present is it's a show i rewound it the ticket does not tell us what the show is it just tells us where it is it doesn't say mm-hmm. you know david byrne and the talking heads presents a show blah blah blah. this place at this time it just is like the seat number and then the place i'm pretty sure but he has this present for Oleg, who is his son slash not son. And he's like, and the kid doesn't know. It's a surprise present and a surprise gig. We find out, you know, hey, I'm taking you to a, uh, to a concert. And you're thinking, mm-hmm. oh, a concert. So you're thinking two things when you hear this. One, it's a young kid. So you're thinking maybe it's like some contemporary music concert. Or two, because this is set in Oslo. We've seen these fancy places. It could be a classical music concert. You know, I was expecting like an orchestra or something because it's at an orchestra place. The ticket. And, and when they go outside the building. So I was expecting like you're expecting at least one of two things. Like you're expecting like a traditional music concert with a rock band or hip hop or whatever. Or you expect yeah, something distinct to the country or something that a team or, would or, like. or classical music. But then <laughs> And it is a joke. It feels like a YouTube video. It cuts to them outside and cuts abruptly to the back of a bald man's head with a microphone with these weird lights on him. And he's just screaming. And spinning, isn't he? Spinning Spinning around and screaming. And it cuts to the crowd. (laughs) There's some people standing up in the aisles doing these awkward dance moves. Other people are on their phones. There's lots of empty seats. Many people looking unimpressed. And there's other people who are kissing and canoodling. And it feels like a comic, like a comic strip. Like, it feels like a little comic strip image of, like, all these disparate things that are in the same place. Like, it feels like a cover of a Mad Magazine or something. Yeah, it's it, so weird. It feels, it feels like, yeah, it feels like it's making fun of, like, pretentious art or something. And we never know, and we never know what that fucking show was because then they leave immediately. But in the background yeah, um... of this scene, you're just hearing a guy going, Aah! he's not singing. He's just and screaming just... and yodeling and making noises. And wasn't it all just one shot? Yeah, basically. Yeah, it's like you see behind him, he's screaming and spinning. And then it moves over to them leaving. And then we're just not in that concert anymore. I, I, can you imagine that that exact same scene in The Shining? And it would actually be terrifying. <laughs> you don't change well, a thing. The, a, scene, a scene later when they take Oleg back to his mum, she asks him, like, oh, how was the concert? And because of, you know, what they were discussing in the car, Oleg was like, it was fine. But it could also be interpreted as, it like, shit. He, he, he doesn't want to acknowledge that it was shit. But then that's the thing. Harry gets a call, but he doesn't get a call. Oleg gets a call from a woman <laughs> who's never <laughs> met him before. Isn't that amazing? And never meets. And never, they yeah. never meet. He gets a text and a call from a woman who's never met him before, doesn't even know he exists, because she doesn't even know anything about Harry, Rebecca Ferguson, saying, hey, could you get Harry? And then, it's, this is important, we found a new body, we're going there straight away, so we have to leave this concert scene immediately. Harry, you know, choosing his work over his kid, right? Over his parental yeah. role, his family role. Um, even though at the end of the movie he says it's alcohol he chooses over them, not work. They never acknowledge that. But, um, you know, he's like, I'm an addict. Uh, but whatever. 
uh, he chooses that, and then they drop the kid home, and he just says, ah, you know what, take me home, I'll deal with it tomorrow. So he just dicked over this kid, and, and the scene means nothing, these sequences of scenes mean absolutely nothing. For no reason, like, he just dicks this kid over, ruins the concert, takes him home early, pisses the kid off, and subsequently, like I said, ruins the pace of the movie in this series of scenes, just so that, for what? I don't know, because that's what footage they had. And they had to dub in lines to make it make sense. <sighs> Wonderful stuff. Um, Bartek, you're a keen-eyed, keen-eyed observer. Did you notice that at the police station, that this very intense psychological movie, they had in the background and in several scenes, people, policemen playing ping pong? No, I don't, I don't think dude, so. Dude, dude, that that's the, in the movie. When they're walking through the Oslo police station, there's ping pong tables and policemen playing ping pong. It's in this film about a brutal serial killer. I just can't understand what that choice was. That's not an editing problem or we could shoot the script all the way through. That's like, we have to put a ping pong table there. We have to get actors who could play ping pong and we had to give them paddles and a ping pong ball and we had to choreograph the scene and make sure like no one hit the ball eh, out of bounds and near the camera and no one, like the, the coordination to have that as a background element was put in but not shooting the yeah, whole that's, script. That's yeah, that's bizarre because the film like we've already mentioned that only Harry and his partner are really the only ones investigating the crime. Oh, there's Magnus, the guy who listens to music and doesn't do any work, except for he's yeah, like, you're yeah, not yeah. allowed to take photos. Yeah, but aside from Magnus, there isn't like a general uh, impression that the whole police force is apathetic, and I feel like that ping-pong thing would would lend itself to that, but there's, there's never any, like, direct acknowledgement of that if that's meant to be the only thing then that's that's a really bizarre way of going I, I about will it. counter you the film does state that his boss is like sorry harry you just don't have any work because you know oslo we just don't get murders here so i think the film with that line was supposed to do like a hot fuzz thing in which the police are very lax and very bad at investigations of crimes because they don't get these crimes that much. Hence, like, later the film is like, he's like, it's clearly not a suicide. And they're like, yeah, it is. Because these guys are like the police in Hot Fuzz. They don't know how to investigate murders properly because they don't do that. Except for at the very end when it seems like that's what, that's what they do all the time when Harry's like, I'll take the case. Do you know what I mean? Do you remember this at all? No, yeah, that that is that is fair. I guess I guess just the fact that they didn't reinforce it as much because we're only seeing Harry and his partner. Yeah, yeah, and also the film contradicts it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a ping pong um, table. I just, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry, I don't keep harping on it, but they focused on having that and not having J.K. Simmons make any sense. And it's not a comedy, Ryan. It's a serious thriller. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, I should have said it in my JK. Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> so despite all of this, uh, you know, knowing what the film was, having seen it before and knowing all of its problems, were there any points that still on this viewing made you question, like, is my copy broken? 
Dude, dude, some of the very first edits of the movie did that. <laughs> like, I, when the cop got out of, when the cop uncle slash dad in the very opening sequence got out of his car and he teleported inside with different, with, with his jacket <laughs> off, I was immediately like, no, I think my cop is broken. <laughs> Because I knew the ending was bad, but I forgot that it immediately kicks you in the face. Immediately kicks you in the face with how bad it is. What about you? Well, in general, I, I didn't have as much faith in the film. So every time there was a problem like that, I was just like, oh, yeah, there's another fuck up in the film. Though there was one moment where I was like seriously questioning if my copy was broken. It was, I think, in the second Val Kilmer scene <laughs> where he's going yeah. up to the mountain. Yeah. And we're seeing him and Toby Jones talk, but there's, like, police radio chatter playing yeah. over it, and we can't hear a single thing they're saying. And then all of a sudden, we can hear the last thing that Toby Jones says. Yeah, and who were those two guys chatting? Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck was that? <laughs> so I was wondering, like, oh, is my film like super out of sync for this scene or something another so i want to no no that happened in the movie because that happened in the film here's another thing i'm a keen-eyed viewer there were kids that discovered a body that's what happened uh, in that scene where he's going up to the mountain and he's riding one of those um what do they they call those things the 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 cable cable the cable cars or whatever but yes there's there's one going down with kids in it and he hears the kids crying. They're like, ah, I want to go home. Blah. We just see the kids and they're just kids that are like, they're on one of these things and they're just looking out the window like kids do. Like, oh, that's cool. I'm seeing a mountain go by. They didn't make the kids in that shot act. <laughs> they just put it yeah, in. They, they put it crying. in post. They put it in post. They just put kids yeah. crying because they're like, oh, wouldn't the kids be crying? Yeah. Again, this yeah, is to be edited by Martin Scorsese's editor, who edited Goodfellas, who edited Raging Bull, Bartek. She's one of the two editors. Who edited Wolf of Wall wow. Street. <laughs> Think about that. Far out. <laughs> um, any other big things that you want to discuss or little things? I'm just trying to think. There's so There is so much stuff that we still got to cover. Like, we haven't even talked about who the killer is and, like, properly. But any other weird things that you want to mention? Um, oh, that, that Toby Jones thing was my, my big one. Um, but yeah, this, this is a two-hour film, so there's two hours worth of things to talk about. Uh, anything major sticking out at me, though? I, I feel like we've covered all the big ones wrench the key he throws a key and it's too late well what about the 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 ipad the very big bulky red flashing light tablet that they use to uh interrogate people that is very inconspicuously hidden oh yes yes when 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 the partner set it up to later try to trap or capture footage of jk simmons (laughs) we spent more time establishing that piece of tech than we did Harry's alcoholism. What was that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> look how look how hip and happening we are with our technology. Alcoholism, that's old school. What about this scene? I I gotta go with this. There's a scene in which Harry 
it's directly after he leaves his kid after the concert, he goes home, and there's just a random shot of Michael Fassbender standing in his underpants for no reason other than to show us that he's fit. It doesn't factor into anything. He's just standing there in his apartment alone, brooding in his underpants. And he closes a window, and that's the scene. They <laughs> shot that, but not a scene that makes any sense at all, you know? Yeah. And Michael Fassbender is an attractive man, and I don't want to bash Michael Fassbender or any of the actors in this film. We all know that they're great actors, even if they've been choosing, even if they've done dicey performances or cho- cho- chose bad projects. It's just that no one comes off as good in this movie. There's no performance in this movie that's good. Michael Fassman is like half asleep. I got a question for you. I wrote this down a lot. Bartek, where's he from? Harry. Like I know he's supposed to be from that's Norway, question, but, but what accent yeah. is Michael Fassbender doing? Is he I don't even think he's putting anything on, is he? No, no, he is because he's Scottish. Okay, fair enough. Um and he does have Scottish just... moments, like at the very end on the Ice Lake scene, where he's like, come and get me! <laughs> <laughs> but where's he from? Do you think his accent? Where, where, do, you, where do you think? Shit, I, I... I don't know, somewhere in the UK? I thought he was supposed to be American. Maybe American? He's got that I'm weird nowhere accent. You know, the one that's kind of like a mixture of all accents, because... I know he yeah, speaks several languages. Me. He's German, Scottish, and you know he, we know he can speak German because in Glorious Bastards he has a whole sequence where he can speak German and French and English. We know this, but I kept trying to figure out where the fuck is he supposed to be from? Like I know he's supposed to be from Norway, but there's only like two actors in the whole movie that try to do Norwegian accents, which is Chloe Sevigny and the guy who plays Matthias, but no one else does. Like, Rebecca Ferguson is just using her Swedish accent that she has in real life, so that doesn't fucking count. But I just try trying to figure out, is he supposed to be American? Is he supposed to be British? Is he supposed to be Scottish? Because he has Scottish moments, and the answer is, we'll never know, because no one directed him. He just kind of winged it. I think he probably had inconsistent direction. There are moments where he's very American, moments where he's kind of got that British kind of sound but he never goes full british like there are lots of american inflections even in his british moments so it's very confusing mm. yeah I, I you just pick out any moment and it can just be anything i guess i was just thinking of moments where it sounded vaguely uk-ish but now that i think of it yeah it is that nowhere accent now we briefly talked about it but popcorn plays in this movie Mm -hmm. and killers have their songs and their motifs and killers can have very camp songs and very silly songs and still be scary for instance reservoir dogs has stuck in the middle with you which is a very you know fun poppy it's a pop song but the juxtaposition of the extreme brutal violence with the comedic element of the song and michael madsen dancing makes it an intense scene it makes it iconic and or you have the other end where killers play ominous music or ominous music is played while they're killing, you know, classic mu- classical music or, or, you know, very dread type music or, you know, you have horror stings that we're used to, like the music in Psycho. But why did this movie, Bartek, choose 
a song that Edgar Wright has used in basically all of his movies. <laughs> a song that, yeah, just is is fun and funny to hear. It's a nice song. It's and a it's... great song, but why is it here? <laughs> yeah, I don't... I, I think maybe even the first time I watched it, I wasn't even getting that that was meant to be the killer's theme. Yeah. I think the, just the fact that I've seen the film before, that was the only reason why when I first heard it, I'm like, ah, the killer. It's like, what is that supposed to mean? Because they never say it's the popcorn song. Because obviously they might not have had the light. They didn't know what song it was when they were filming, probably. It was just like, we'll play some music. But in post... That was chosen, and it was selected, and it was put in the film. Again, I keep issuing, this isn't a problem that comes from not being able to film scenes. This is a problem of a creative choice in post. Yeah, and also <laughs> and also, the song's meant to be diegetic. It's in the scene, so the characters are hearing it, and they're not jarred by it. Wouldn't you? <laughs> Ex- exactly. In fact, I think... When it happens in the scene with the woman that is a twin, he mentions to her, like, oh, uh, we, we we were searching your house before we just came to speak to you now, and I turned off the, the music that you were playing. I hope you're not bothered by that. And she has no, no reaction. No, she does have a reaction. It's just a, it's a micro-reaction. She, she makes a, a head tilt and a bit of a squint. It's, like, I'll give her this. It's a realistic reaction. Like, you're just like, huh? Because for her, it's just like, all of this makes no sense. Because it's a fake phone call about her missing. There's police at her house. Right. I kind of get that. Like, if you actually do look at that scene again, she does give a micro-reaction, which is underplaying it, but that's fine, considering if the movie was better, it would make sense. Like, in isolation, that makes sense. But in context, it probably should have had her have a bigger reaction. Or at least, like, a vocal acknowledgement of some sort. Like, did I leave the radio on? Or, or maybe after they've gone, she goes into the house. And she's, mm. like, looks at, like, whatever was playing the music. Or something, you know, like, she... Something? Because in the trailer, she has a lot more to do. She gets her foot caught in a bear trap. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, uh, popcorn. But then they change the song. It's like, did they only have license to popcorn for so long? Because then the killer's theme is a different theme. I was expecting like the his ringtone to be popcorn, and then he would be like, <gasps> but instead he has a classical music sting, and then that's what helps him figure out it's him later. And it just you don't understand what is going. Why did they change the song? <laughs> that's my question: is why this? Even if you didn't get the film all of the movie, why this? Yeah, actually, even out, outside of um, mentioning that he turned off her radio, is there any actual, like, in any minor way, acknowledgement of the song later on in the two times it plays? Or is it just, like, it's just playing? It just plays. The... It just plays. It doesn't yeah. matter. Like, we hear it in so her it goes, house and yeah. we hear it in his apartment after he's just come from that scene. So it's another thing of like, oh, the audience is getting it, but the character... Well, you think... No, no. You think the character should, because Harry acknowledges it, he notices it, and he knows that it's the killer, probably, after the scene had happened. But then he goes to his apartment, and there's a guy dancing around to the popcorn song, 
And he doesn't acknowledge it. That's the time where he's like, aha. But he never acknowledges it. And maybe if they were going to go by the rule of threes, so introduce it once at the beginning so we, the audience, do it. Second time so that the, 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 the main character can kind of pick up on the repetition. Third time, oh my God, it's him. So you have it. There it is again. First yeah. time in the apartment, in, in her house. Second time, his apartment. Third time, phone phone uh his his uh ringtone for when he phones the 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 girlfriend when matthias phones the girlfriend about oleg and they're having sex uh, not sex the the her and michael fassbender uh charlotte gainsburg and michael fassbender are just dry humping for no reason and it goes against both of their characters state of mind but whatever you have to have a sexy scene in the movie we had a few of them for no mm-hmm. reason like he is a young woman's breasts jk simmons and then jk's like disgusted and he's like you idiot how could you do this to me very weird for a guy who's an organized pervert to say, but whatever. Well, he took, he a, took photo. a photo. I mean, of course, he has to keep it for the wank bank. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, the popcorn song doesn't matter, and they change the song anyway, so nothing matters. Nothing matters, and that's what I mean. Like, you don't need to see this movie, but our discussion won't make sense to you, but the film doesn't make any sense either. There's randomly twins in the movie. Who knows why? JK's here and he's doing a British accent. Who knows why? You have a, you notice pigeons making noises in a scene that's set in a police station. They do visually set up that pigeons are on the roof, but why can you hear them in the scene? Don't know. There's a scene in which we have a jump scare because a little girl ran towards the camera. <laughs> Do you remember that? Well, Michael Fassbender is in the like car that. talking to that little girl's dad, and then she smacks on the car window. Yes. Oh, right. Yes. Yes. That's, that's not right. the first time because previously they were having a conversation in his house, and she smacks on the glass door because everyone has giant openings of windows to look through. Yeah, and that was meant to. Um, also tie into the fact that early in the film, mainly in the first act, there were a couple of recurring things where a snowball would be thrown. And then they dropped that. Never came back. Yeah. <laughs> As was everything. Yeah, that's right. I I remember that was really prominent, and then I just forgot about it because they didn't do it again. Random aside question, Bartek. Yeah? Why did he call you Cloudberry? <laughs> Because I liked it. <laughs> no, do you remember the answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she. It's lo- it's basically just a longer thing of what I said. It's like because when I was younger, I really liked cloudberries on my. Something. No, cloudberry ice cream. Yeah, cloudberry ice cream. Why was that in still stayed in? <laughs> what the? F- I'm just smacking my forehead, and like I know that they could film sections of this movie but the things that they kept in to push this to a two-hour running time is so absurd yet again i love the blu-ray where there's deleted scenes <laughs> i'd love to see the deleted scenes that didn't make it in and to judge why they didn't make it in i would love that that would be an interesting experiment um i have in my notes the already can i keep this scene and i wrote can i keep this and then under that can i keep this because it was said twice <laughs> because it was stupid <laughs> oh right yes yes the, the photos. photos um oh okay jk simmons is a sex pervert his plot me- means nothing other than it's a red herring he has a sex pervert ring that has never stopped there's a random sex worker that we focus on in the movie then she disappears and we never see her again 
Mm-hmm. No one knows what happened to her, but okay. We have all these things with JK, and he wants to host the Winter Games. One of the things I've got to question is, they say that this is taking place in winter. And he wants to get the Winter Games here. The way the movie is structured, it makes it seem like when Oslo is accepted for the Winter Games, it's like, this year's Winter Games. Wouldn't it be really late to choose that if it's already winter? Like, it made it seem in the movie how it was constructed through editing that they were pledging to have these winter games and then in the next week or two, they'll be on in Oslo. Yeah. They don't... Yeah, in, re- in real life, when we have those things that happens only, like, every few years, they're pretty much decided on around the time of the previous games. Like, mm-hmm. they pick the Olympic location, like, three, four years ahead of That's time. That's what they always do, but I guess it's the winter games. And I... I guess it's just really simple. But, Bartek, there's so many things we have to talk about JK that he made me laugh a lot in this movie. Not just because he did a British accent, but there was so many little things. For instance, the bookcase scene. Do you know what I mean by the bookcase scene? Ah, uh, the bookcase scene. Um... JK, behind a bookcase. There's a scene in which Rebecca Ferguson and him are talking and she's hitting on him to try and get with him. And then, you know, one of his handlers comes over and she's like, oh, I'll let you go and whatnot. And he's like, it was lovely to meet you. And he takes a photo of her right in her face. And then he literally walks two, three steps, stands behind a bookcase, peering across, like peering around the corner of the bookcase, giving like a... It's me. That was oh, I thought that was a door. I think it's a bookcase. I want to say it's a bookcase. It doesn't matter. He's peering around a corner, and then he, the guy that he was with just walks back and says like he wants to see. It's so weird. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. He he bids farewell, and then he gets his like hench or well, not henchman, but he's like right hand dude to just go back and say an extra. But thing. it's not just that. That would be fine. But it's the fact that J.K. is two steps away in earshot, and she can and she sees him standing right there giving the coy look. It would make more sense in it would to, again. This is how you fix it. Either he just says it, like he walks off, and then he goes, turns back around, and goes, "Actually, I'd like you to meet me here," or he walks off, talks to his henchman, and he keeps walking, and the henchman walks back, and she's seeing him in the crowd, like walking off, maybe going up on stage to give a speech. It would make more sense, right? But instead, they do this weird, like, it seems like a cartoon. It seems like a joke, right? That seemed like a joke. That would be like a naked gun joke. Yeah, it almost <laughs> seems like... It's almost like cute in a way. Like, oh, I just want to make sure my guy does what I say. Uh, like, oh, you're doing it? Okay, There's cool. another bit where JK finds out that his former pimp, the weird creepy guy with painted toenails in that one scene... Oh, the, the doctor or whatever. He's has killed himself in the garage and he gets like the guy you know the he's in a business scene and the guy whispers in his ear and jk says in an american accent in his garage <laughs> <laughs> and then he says in a british voice oh my oh, i don't know <laughs> that made me laugh hysterically but Bartek, the absolute pinnacle other than jk taking photos of women right in their face making me laugh the pinnacle of laughter was his last scene. <laughs> <laughs> for, how, for how poignant he was. In it, yeah. No, 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 no. He opens up the bedroom door. The, you know, the little, he opens up the room, the door to the room, and he 
pats himself on the stomach and 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 he goes <laughs> hooey hooey like calling her <laughs> yeah <laughs> what was that direction but it's academy award winner <laughs> It's like JK said, I've never done British before. What do they do? They say rather and hooey hooey. <laughs> it's like he watched the Monty Python sketch once 30 years ago. Hooey hooey. He says hooey hooey and then he looks for her. He sees the bed is empty and then he just like sadly reacts like they told him. And now you react like, oh, what a bummer. But he reacted like... Oh, I wanted to have sex. It was so pathetic. And then we never see him again. <laughs> we never hear about him again either. Yeah. Like, okay, we don't see him again, but maybe you hear about what happened to him. But no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because he hustled that guy out of his business back in nine years ago. <laughs> that mm. mattered to the plot when we had to go to Bergen. <laughs> Bergen. That was a great, great moment. Um. I'm just looking at other pieces of notes because obviously we want to get to like the big climax scene. That's like the like the end showdown. But there's so many things. I've just got my notes. Um. Oh yeah, I mentioned it before, but I I think my biggest laugh, the biggest laugh that I had when we first watched it, and it was the biggest laugh on this watch, is Harry figures out, and he's basically told that Matthias is the killer. This guy is dating his ex his ex girlfriend. He's a plastic surgeon. He's into hormone therapy stuff. So you know he meets all these victims because they all got like birth problems or hormone problems or whatever. And he finds out what's going on with all these victims. We go to Matthias Matthias's house, his apartment, and we see that he has the these these you know the 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 letters. That uh, we didn't even mention in at all the the uh, you had all the clue letters because the no, I've but we didn't them, actually yeah. state that what they were. We just we are referencing them, but for context, we haven't actually stated that the killer has letters that never actually factor into the movie. And the trailer makes it seem like, and the poster, the poster yeah, makes it a, seem like there's a this disconnect. Is a big deal. Yeah, there's a, there's also a disconnect between what the letters were advertised as and what they actually are in the film. Like in the advertisements, it's implied that oh, well, no, it's shown that the letters <clears throat> are meant to be like clues that the killer is giving to the police officer. But in the film itself, the few letters that he gets are all like just taunts. Like, oh, I can see everything. Well, they are kind of clues, but not really. Um, it's it's tough. But he goes to this guy's house. He knows he's the killer by then. He's just acknowledging that he's the killer by looking at stuff that's like, ooh, he's a killer. But then he has a... Matthias has these photos, physical photos, printed out and framed of his partner, Rebecca Ferguson, sitting in the car. And then they show us a little flashback of the scene in which he took those photos. And then they have the fucking Harry knocked out on the street after getting drunk, which we saw that scene. And he has a picture of Harry passed out on the street framed with a little vignette thing around it like is it a and and he has that physically out this is a guy who's dating harry's ex-girlfriend who comes over to that house yet he has it physically out you know you know what i mean why did he print that this is what makes me laugh because we the audience are dumb we need a visual thing to let us know that he's the killer how about photos okay 
for some reason Maybe. he puts them in picture frames and sits them in normal areas of the house. Not like he's got a creepy photo album that he keeps under his bed or anything. Maybe he took them out because uh, that morning because he was going to kidnap his girlfriend and her son anyway, so no one would see it at that point who wouldn't already know he was the killer. Yeah, but why would he do that? Because he doesn't have any reason to reveal his identity. He's got to reveal it to Harry, but he, you know... Who, it, it, but it it was yeah, so well, funny. Like I'm saying that there's, a, <laughs> I'm saying that like the director had this logic, but then when we think about it in the context of the film, it makes little sense. None of it makes sense, bro. No, none of it. Um, before we get to the the end, end, nothing else you want to bring up? I'm trying to think of other things or characters or or plots or subplots that just didn't make any sense or or had bizarre moments. Anything popping to mind? No, no, I'm full. I'm full on ready to get to the end. What did you think of the ending this time? Oh, okay, first time round and this time round. Because I think first time round, you didn't think he. I don't think you picked that he was the killer until much later, if not at the end. I don't remember if that's the case or not. But did you? How did you feel this time round as well? Like, how did you feel the first time? Did you realize he was going to be the killer or what? Or and this time, how did it feel knowing that he's the killer? I think I remembered that he was the killer, but throughout the film, it was mainly just the fact that he wasn't doing much and not getting a lot of spotlight. I mean, like, yeah, he gets a few scenes where he's in the in the spotlight, but not not all that much focus. So it's like, oh, yeah, this guy ends up being the killer, and this is all that we're getting to like hint to that. Okay, sure. Um, I think the main thing that I ended up, that I always thought about was, yeah, just that ending reveal of, like, no, it was daddy issues all along. <sighs> I remember picking it was him because he was, uh, he, he was too nice. Like, he, he mm. did the phone call to save Harry. He also smokes. We know the killer smokes, and no one else smoked in the movie, and I remember noticing that. And it's a man, and... You know, none of the other characters made sense for it to be them either. It, it was just like, uh, oh, who else would it be? Would it be mild-mannered guy who we don't get much of? Or will it be the other doctor character we meet? Because we know it has to be a medical person. Or will it be the other medical person who's an obvious creep? You know, it's a mystery. It would be that, I mean, this, I mean, this isn't cutting class where the misdirect is the fact that it's so obvious who the killer is that you think it must be literally anyone else and the killer is the most obvious choice. It, you know, it was not (laughs) that, but the ending scene of a sequence of events is so bafflingly bizarre because the killer takes them all the way out to his hut. And they know where that place is because the police track her phone and her phone being tracked can also tell them what the car is and what color the car is. That was very amusing to me. (laughs) They're like, he's in this car with it. Doesn't that mean that there's a policeman in near vicinity that could detect like, oh, I've tracked it. Oh, it's this kind of car. Wouldn't they just do the scene? Whatever. No, dude, Norwegian cars, they're that advanced. Magnus, give me your phone and your car keys. <laughs> no. No. Magnus, give me your phone and your car keys. Yes. Yes. And instead of he gives him his car keys, he gives him car key pants. Here you go. 
it would make as much sense as literally anything else in this movie. Yes, yes, but it, but it would be played as a thriller, not a comedy. <gasps> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. He would, he'd rip them off and then salute Harry and say, you're the best cop in the force. <laughs> you're my favourite customer. <laughs> this ending sequence, you know, it's supposed to mirror the beginning. You know, the, 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 the killer is doing the exam, but on Harry, but instead of, like, facts, he's just doing it on subjective things. You know, at least with the abusive guy at the beginning, he was torturing them because they didn't know objective facts. At the end, this guy is doing subjective things, like, how will this person feel when this happens? And Harry answers a subjective answer, and the guy's like, wrong. So it's no. Give me the answer that I want to hear. Yeah, and give me more. So, how did you feel about this quiz sequence? In which it's so weird that the mechanism we haven't even talked about is killing garroting machine mechanism that the killer uses the thing. We know that it doesn't. You don't just like pull it to make it, you know, retract. You have to crank it to make it retract. So it's like the tension is not there at all of him being like you answer my question, or I have to slowly crank this thing to get closer to a neck. Yeah, you don't have the menacing thing of, like, I just press this one button and bad things happen. It's like, no, I have to do all this effort to make a bad thing happen. <laughs> uh, but how did you feel about how this scene is supposed to be Harry's big interiority and confession scene? He's, he's admitting why he is not in their lives. How did it feel for you, having seen a movie that did not explore that for the other hour and 50 minutes? How do you think, Ryan? (laughs) You loved it. (laughs) It made you weep. You were like, oh, now I understand. Now I understand Detective Harry Hole. I understand where Harry Hole is coming from. I love myself some Harry Hole. No, 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 Ryan. Exactly what you said, but replace Harry Hole with, oh, this is what the writers were thinking. <laughs> now I understand their thought process. <laughs> oh, it's just so fake because none of the effort is put in. And again, do you think that an extra 15 to 20% of it being filmed would fix that problem? I don't think so. I just don't think so. Uh, uh. I don't, I don't know, man. It, it's this whole thing of like, it's not that there are missing pieces. There are, there are recontextualizations and edits happening everywhere. It's, it's like maybe it could fix it, maybe, but I just, it's impossible to tell because of what they've given us. Exactly, it's, and we'll never know. We'll never know, and that's um, I, I keep saying, I'll well, um, never say never. No, we'll, there's never get. You think they're gonna go back these years later and film those scenes? That's the only way you would know is if they filmed those scenes. I know, I'm just fucking dude. Scorsese was supposed to direct this. Scorsese instead, I guess he chose the Irish Silence or the Irishman, but he was supposed he produced this. Meaning, Mars Scorsese was a part of the problem because he was a part of the. He's a producer. He's one of the reasons that they weren't allowed more money to film. Yeah, yeah. Mister, I love cinema made sure was one of the contributing factors to why this wasn't allowed to be cinema. Instead, this is an incomplete project. We've been calling it a film. I think that's wrong. This is a thing. This is a mutant. This is like, 
you know, I've heard someone compare it to one of those abortions, like one of those child who who survived the abortion. It just crawls. It's like a creature. This isn't. It's a fucking mutant. This isn't a film. This is a thing. Cause say what you want about Neil Breen and Tommy Wiseau and the guy who did Birdemic. At least they were finished films. As stupid and as bad and as incompetently made as they are, they are finished films. You know? You know what I mean, Bart's like, this isn't. Yes, yes. I can't believe that they release this, but to get to the end, somehow through bad editing and bad filming, they fight and scuffle and get free and Harry loses a finger, except for he doesn't, because there's several scenes after several shots after this where he has all all of his fingers. And I've never seen a fight scene so incompetently shot. And again, that is something that happened on the day. That isn't like, oh, they didn't get to film it properly. That was what they chose to film. With this shaky nonsense. Like, I remember the first time explaining to, to, I don't know if it was you, but to the others, that he just lost his finger. Because it's so incompetently shot. And now, Bartek, I know that you... Uh, a lot more adverse to visual nonsense happening on screen. Like, I know in the past you've talked about, like, the visual language of film can really be a, 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 a really hard for you if it's bad, like with M. Night's movie Lady in the Water. How did you feel about this end sequence? And in general, the visual look of the movie, like the color grading, ugh. Yeah, it just wasn't wasn't very pretty to look at. In fact, when I was watching that, editing video after the fact and he pointed out that most of the film was like shown with shots looking through windows and glass it was like oh yeah that's true that's that contributed to why it looked bad because not all the glass was you know super clean and nor should it but the fact that that's the motif throughout and then you have this end scene where he gets his finger chopped off and you can't even tell what's happening and the geography is all over the place the house keeps changing geography even though we have been established to what the geography is from the opening scene things keep changing and harry for no reason is like yeah i'm gonna go chase him on the lake and kill him he can just save them and leave like they know who the killer is that guy's not gonna get away what, what's a, a meek plastic surgeon gonna do to get away from an entire nation or the all of europe you you know what i mean he's gonna write letters to Mr. Government. I, I gave you all the clues, Mr. Prime Minister. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Mr. Prime Minister sounds natural. So you... Mr. Minister. So we're on the lake. Harry's doing the old come get me scene. And it's like a really wide shot. It's an extremely wide shot. And we don't see where the killer is, but he shoots Harry. And then like he steps into frame and it's like a comedy shot. <laughs> it's like, how did Harry not see him? I always use this example. Bartek knows this. I'm a big fan of um, high school made media. I love films that were made during my era in high school. And I love watching my friends' homemade movies and stuff. And there's a movie that I like to refer to uh, a lot. It's called Turf Wars. And there's a scene in this you know, kids film, uh, this film made by my friends when they're like 13, that a guy's looking around the corner and he's looking around the corner and then he turns and he says, it's clear. And then immediately uh, another character pops around the corner and by the geography of the place in real life and what we've been shown in Turf Wars, it means that he would have been looking directly at this guy's face. 
And that's what <laughs> yeah. that scene at the end reminded me of. It reminded me of fucking Turf Wars. <laughs> a film made by my friends in high school who didn't know how to make movies. This is by the guy who did Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, by the way. Like, Yes, that that was an extract from the video game adaptation of The Snowman, which was a game that was going to be all fixed camera angles. Yeah. Uh, so talk us through this great lake sequence and how well it's executed. Um, Harry's shot, he's on the ground, he says, it was daddy, and then the killer goes towards him and sinks. In a hole that was already there, and it made it seem like Harry knew that hole was there, but it was never established. Well, he's Harry Hole, so... You know. he He's superpowers, he knows all about holes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and is that a satisfying death? Is that a satisfying beating of the enemy? Of the killer? Is that a satisfying one-upmanship? A checkmate? Um, the only poignancy that I can possibly think of is that that's how his mum died, but even then, there's really nothing. No. It's not satisfying at all. Like, it could be because of what you just said, but the way it's executed, it's not at all satisfying. You just go, oh, okay, that happened. It would have been better if at least, like, when Harry was waiting, he saw a weak patch of ice, and he kicked it. Like, stomped on it, and, you know, then called the killer and was, like, hoping that the killer would fall into it. But, again, Harry's the dumbest detective in the world because he's gambling on the chance that the guy would just walk closer to shoot him. He didn't have to walk closer to shoot him. He already shot him. I laughed when he got shot because it was so funny. Like, it's that thing of in these movies, you always have that moment where they're, they're like, Come get me! And and then, you know, you have the obvious shot or whatever where the killer's like, okay, I'll get you. And they walk over. It was just so funny. He's like, come get me. And then he just gets shot immediately and falls over. Yeah, you're not meant to get instantly gotten after you yell, come get me. <laughs> and that's the end. Or is it because, da, 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 we've got a sequel bait, Bartek. You ready for some yes. sequel baiting? Yeah, I'm ready for the sequel. It's been years. Talking about... Um, sound mixing, Abartek. <laughs> I remember when we all walked away from the movie the first time, I had to explain what the fuck just happened. Because I was keenly keeping aware. The end of this movie is like, you hear this case being described, that's the next book in the series, and it's going to be the next movie, and it's this gruesome case. But we, the audience, aren't paying attention to it. Because we hear this tapping sound, this tink sound. Tink, 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 tink. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the way it's done sound-wise, like, oh, it's like that effect of, you know, when characters get, like, deaf or they're not paying attention and everything kind of mutes out or you have that ringing sound effect. or Yeah, that dull white noise. Dull white noise or there's a specific noise being made that's the point of focus. Well, that's what's happening here, the tink, tink, tink sound. And it takes like a solid 45 seconds for it to finally reveal that it's Harry's prosthetic finger that he's got now tapping on a mug as he looks like he's fucking drunk again. He looks really wasted in his final scene for no reason. And then he just mildly says, I'll take the case. Yeah, it's like he wasn't listening, but then, oh no, he was listening. (laughs) But we weren't. We weren't. That's supposed to be like the hook. You know, at the end of Marvel movies, they have those stingers that are supposed to draw you in like... Oh, here's Thanos sitting on his throne. Who's that guy? That'll make you interested. But could you imagine instead of it being like, uh, 
a clear shot of Thanos at the end of the Avengers movie. It's like you hear Thanos in the background talking about how he's going to get these Infinity Gems, but you can barely hear him. And the camera just pans over to his uh to his uh guy who is his like uh, right hand man guy, and he just is tapping, tap 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 tap, and then he just then he just stands up and goes, "Yes, sir, I'll make sure that we can do that." And then it ends. <laughs> Yeah. That's how it is. It's... I just, yeah, I now remember that that first viewing the tinking thing and us just being distracted by. And it. I was like, guys, I know where the fuck this is. Like, let me explain it to. You. And that's this movie. Well, after you watch it, especially if you're with a group, you all need someone to explain bits because even I didn't understand lots of bits on the first watch and the second watch where I had to get it explained to me or I had to explain stuff. And it's, it's, it's a. It's amazing. I keep saying amazing because it is. It, it, uh, we'll never get a film like this again. I don't know how we got one like this in the first place. I can't even say we won't get one like this again because where we were in time, this was only like two, three years ago. We shouldn't have gotten a film like this. There's no industry standard that allows this. There's no other film like this of this level and this level of prestige that is this fucked. Yeah. The closest is that Martin Scorsese, everyone. The closest is that Justice League thing, but that movie's still a complete movie. People just want the other cut of it, but it's complete. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, I love this movie. Um, any final thoughts you want to give? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's 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 a thing to marvel at. That's your final thoughts? <laughs> yes. Yeah, my final thoughts are very similar, dude. It's a thing to marvel at. This is a, an astonishing achievement in failure. Everyone tried. Everyone tried. You could tell people were trying. But all the choices were wrong. The The, the circumstances of which they were f- making this movie were wrong. Fucking... Michael Fassman had just stopped, like, literally, he got off filming from Assassin's Creed, walked off set, gotten onto a plane, and started filming this. Everyone tried, but also they weren't trying. All the wrong choices were made. It's not just that they weren't allowed to film portions of this movie. They made weird decisions. They disregarded everything, in a way. They had the source material that they just seemed to ignore. And that's fine. That happens a lot. But they chose the wrong way to ignore it, it seems. And like I said, casting is wrong in certain places. You've got bad cinematography, color corrections all whack, music's weirdly forced in there. On and on and on the list goes. This is a must-see. If you like film... You need to see this as an example of how things can go wrong. Oftentimes people will say, oh, you need to see The Room, or you need to see this movie, these bad movies, as examples of what not to do. To, what not to do. This is the example you need to see, because this is all the right people, with all the right experience, with all the money, fucking it up. And it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing, and I love it. We need a disaster artist of the snowman. I want that documentary. I want that audio commentary track from the director and the editors. Mm. I want that. And we won't get it. Oh, your your DVD doesn't come with anything like that? No, no, no. Just Aww. nothing. Bullshit. 
so I guess the final thing to touch upon, Bartek, is do we like this movie? <laughs> and the answer is uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's shadowy, like we said. Like, it's, well, it's a bad movie, and we like it, but not really. Like, yeah, we like it because it's very bad, but not really. It's not a properly good bad movie, but it is an interesting bad movie. I, I like talking about it. I like thinking, remembering things from it, and laughing hysterically. Like, yeah, thinking, thinking about it, talking about it, just laughing at it. Yeah, like when Harry at the end had a mustache for no reason. It's like, what is going on? Why has he got a mustache now? And then when he's out on the lake, he doesn't. He just has normal facial hair. But in the in cabin scenes, he has a mustache and uh, stuff like that. I go, okay. Um, so Bartek, that's uh, The Snowman. We seem to chat about this for a while. Uh, we knew we would. It's a very... Yeah, longer than the, longer than the runtime of the Fuck film. Fuck it. It deserves it. Uh, so next episode is a listening people's choice, Bartek. Uh, yes. You're excited, I can tell. I am. Uh, we are going to be doing a recommendation, uh, from a YouTube commenter, because we have a few from YouTube that comment. Mm-hmm. We're going to be doing the 1997 film, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Michael, starring John Travolta as Archangel Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I remember putting that down on the list. Yeah. I thought it was time that we had to get back into the Travolta-isms, because we love that guy. Or do we? (laughs) He's a good boy. Or he's a Scientology boy, that's for sure. (laughs) Yes. So, listening people, make sure to check out Michael with John Travolta as an angel. Uh, we'll be talking about that. Uh, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter, Spit and Posh Presents. Pretty easy to find us. We uh, uh, we also have an email, so if you worked on this film and you want to email us, and or you are just a normal listening person and you want to email us with your thoughts, opinions, views on things that we've discussed, or suggestions for movies in the future... Our email address is spitandpolished at gmail.com. All of that info is in the description of this episode. Uh, so in case you need to catch that again. So yeah, spitandpolished at gmail.com. Uh, rate us, review us on whatever podcatcher allows it, and share us around with your friends. You know, give your friends the joy that is us. That's all I have to say about that. And put snowmen uh, on their lawns. And kill them, of course, <laughs> after they listen to the episode. No, no, you kill them while playing our episode. And popcorn at the same time. Of course. No, no, you just play the loop of me going... And you just play that as well, like looping. I love that. So thank you very much, listening people. As always, it is a joy to be podcasting with you, Bartek, even if we are doing it remotely. I do miss having your physical presence in the room, seeing you blush and smile as I say something inappropriate. Or appropriate in this case. Uh, uh, As always, it's listening people. Remember to be kind to each other. Make sure to check out our monthly show, The Mystery Box. And uh, we also have a monthly show now because of the pandemic and all the stuff going on of Bartek and I discussing a a TV show. Uh, So we just released, as of this recording, uh, a discussion on Twin Peaks The Return. So that's season three of Twin Peaks. So... 
give that a listen and yeah in the future we'll hopefully be doing a bit more of that if you people enjoy it and if we're keen on doing it because yeah we can't do the mystery box and at the moment because of everything going on because we're remote and it, that works better with us being in the same room uh, yeah there's a physical box so yeah there's a physical box uh so yeah listening people until next time remember to be kind to each other bye bye <laughs>